Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be broadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy wherever they get their podcasts. Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. No, I really am here. It's just after 8 o'clock on a Wednesday. I know, even a tiny little pause like that gets the responsible adult very, very worried indeed. Uh, it is just after 8 o'clock on a Wednesday. It is Midweek Motorsport Series 16, and would you believe we're up to 29, the episode, uh, already. Good to have you company. How are you tonight? Let me have a look at you. Oh, yes, no, you look all right. You look good. Uh, been out in the sun, obviously. It's nice. Here in the UK, it's been very, very hot indeed. Uh, got some Olympic news for you to prove that you were, that we're live. Uh, women's football, 2-0. Uh, 10-3? Uh, My God. 5-0, uh, 3-0, 1-1 and 2-1. And in the first ever... 100 match uh, at the moment the Invincibles are 5 for none needing 136 to beat the Originals there you go proving we're live at the moment at Specutainment if you'd like to speak to us tonight Tim Gray up in London he's back as he was last week but this week he speaks and on a packed programme tonight Tim we have what? Well, first of all, those soccer scores don't prove we're live at all because uh, the most recent most one of them finished uh, eight hours ago um, and it was 3-10 rather than 10-3 because Zambi were the home team in that game. Uh, well, neither of them are at home. They're playing in Japan. Zambi are still classified as being the home all team. Right. Okay. I'll, I'll uh, tell in you a show tonight, like, we've got... I tell you something? Oh, go on, go on, go on. We've got all the usual features plus Hooray! the things that... We'll have that as well, plus the things that you've neglected <laughs> in my absence. Like so what? we will have a pointless press release of the week, even though it's a month old. Right, OK, I couldn't possibly do that because I can't do it as well as you. Um, we have Nick Damon and Shay Adam joining us. Uh, we'll Shay's be having her lunch listening at the moment, I know that. She'll Hello, be Madison here in the second hour of the show. Right. Um, and talking about NASCAR and IndyCar. Uh, and also, we'll be uh, talking to her about uh, some information that we now have, which we didn't have this time last week, which is a complete entry list for this year's Le Mans 24 Hours. Am I on it? Am I on it? Am I on it? Wait, we'll find out. Okay. Find out. And we're in talking Nashville, aren't we? Uh, we will be talking about Nashville. We'll be talking about a new TV deal for IndyCar. Lots of movement in uh, terms of drivers going to different teams in NASCAR. All that we share in the second hour. In the first hour, we have some uh, Le Mans news as well, but that's uh, future Le Mans news rather than this year's Le Mans news. Well, this, that's interesting because I've just been scanning through Twitter and Ryan Marin, who 
Works with John DeGeese on Sportscar365. Lots of good stuff on Sportscar365, by the way, at the moment. We'll be talking about some of it later on. Has just said, if somebody could come up with a proper guide to where you can go and what you can do and which series you can go and see, that would make you a fortune. We will have the up-to-date information from the responsible adult, no less, about going to Le Mans 24 this year, whether in the UK or further afield. That will come up later on tonight. Uh, shall I do some parish notices no, while we're waiting? I'm telling you what else is in the show. We've got Nick right, Damon's team-by-team team review of the British Grand Prix. Was that this weekend? Got it on, was, was yes. Only a couple of days ago. Uh, nice. And we have uh, some MotoGP news and uh, little bits of single-seaters and uh, I mentioned Pointless Press Release of the Week. Um, WRC? And we'll be hearing about... Yeah, WRC. We'll be hearing about what's going on tomorrow night as well. Uh, oh, plus okay. news of uh, a brand new real-world road test that you can hear debut this weekend on RS1. And we've got another programme tonight because it is a historic racing news special. Oh, on, yes. And, and I know it's not the right time of the year. I mean, it it's, a, it's a subject that is um, not really relevant to this channel, is it? No, barely uh, at all. And not this time of the year because Le Mans is in June, obviously. Everybody knows that. So yes. doing a history of Le Oh, no, wait. It is a month today to Le Mans. So perfect timing for the history of Le Mans with Paul Tarsi and guests coming up at 10 o'clock tonight. So no reason for you... Have you heard who you. these guests are? Go on, tell me. There's a David Ingram. Oh, oh Mr. Audi! Yes, but he's, he's not just talking about Audi. That was latterly David Ingram of Audi. But David remember, Ingram, the tallest, the tallest bloke that Richard Lloyd could find to hold on to the fueling horse. As That's I how he first say, went to the mall. Yes. Uh, David Ingram of Richard Lloyd Racing. So there's a lot of history between uh, Richard Lloyd Racing, which was late 70s they first went to Le Mans, was it? Uh, yeah, but it, that would have been in the 80s for, for Dinger. Um, and, and the man who famously said, and this is his quote, not mine, that Le Mans without Radio Le Mans would be like champagne without the bubbles, for which I have never, ever, ever stopped thanking him. Yeah. Uh, also, um, you couldn't do any historical piece without uh, Radio Show Limited's nostalgia correspondent, Joe Bradley, and he will be joining Paul Tarsi on that show. Well, he is just Mr. Nostalgia. Tonight as well. Of course. 10pm. Subtitles will be available as well. Thank you. That comes up at uh, 10 o'clock tonight after the show. Well, it might be a bit later than 10 o'clock now because we've taken rather too much time to say that. Hello to Heath uh, Giles. Early EFAs catching the a podcast as usual for this time of year. Um, do we get a sprint hooray and a Grand Prix hooray from RC Racing? No, because we never sure have about. hoorays for qualifying, so that's what the sprint is. It was a race. It was a qualifying. Race. Oh, don't get me started. Uh, hello to Neil Gardner, who's who posted a lovely sketch of the Jordan 191 uh, today. Uh, hello to uh, Cigar Guitar and to Matt Endy, who is uh, doing car prep again for one of his rally cars. And he's still catching up on sleep after a mega busy weekend, keeping the marshals fed and watered at Silverstone weekend, which was extraordinary because he delivered 
over half a tonne of water, himself by the way, and walked more than 25 miles. Brilliant work, Matt. Thank you. Uh, hello to uh, Patrick Don. Looking forward to hearing uh, the whole uh, overtake, no overtake, it never overtakes there. Uh, debate coming up. I've overtaken there. So have I. I've took, I overtook in an Aston Martin there, but it's a, a long I story. I did in a golf buggy, and uh, I uh, overtook a different golf buggy. All right, so that was a single manufacturer race, was it? Yeah, well, I'm all for the uh, spec series. Uh, Thomas is submitting his apologies for absence. He's watching the hundreds tonight. Look, it's cricket. Enjoy. Uh, listen to the podcast tomorrow. Uh, going on on... YouTube at the moment, if you go to the Racebot uh, TV or VCO Esports channel, we are just at the second half of the Racing Against the Flood fundraiser for the Eiffel region of Germany. Uh, just over €3,200 raised. I did some commentary for that at the beginning. Our Peter Mackay is on that as well, doing some guests. Lots of ways that we can take money from you on that. VCO Esports on YouTube. Drop in at some stage. I will give you permission to do that. The Colonel is going to catch the podcast on the early shift tomorrow. Uh, Racing incident, he says. See, you don't even have to say anything else, do you? You're really good. Brody. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. Well, this week we're going to start with MotoGP, and that means I need to introduce our MotoGP correspondent, Nick Damon. Hi, good evening to everybody, including you, Tim. Lovely to have you back from your sojourn at the Euros. It's good to be back, Nick. Uh, Big MotoGP news this week, even though there isn't a race for uh, a long time in the future, and there doesn't appear to have been one for quite a long time in the past. (laughs) We're in a MotoGP desert at the moment, so uh, uh, am I being cynical that this story has come out now? Tell, tell I, I'll just, I'll just put that out there. Move on. I don't think there's any room for cynicism, John. Okay. Uh, we have a returnee to the MotoGP uh, field for the next race in Styria, isn't it, Nick? Yeah, one of they're doing the back-to-back uh, Austrian thing as well. It appears that obviously the Red Bull Red Bull ring obviously has very very attractive rates for major global series, <laughs> so they all decide to do two races there. MotoGP, no exception. And yes, I think this is a, this is a bit of a surprise and also a rather pleasant return after pushing three years out of the saddle uh, for Danny Pedrosa. If you remember the reason that Danny left really stopped racing was because of injury upon injury upon injury so despite the fact he's been doing a lot of testing he's also had a chance to get his body back together again which is important when you're getting on a bit like he is at 35 35 still young well wish i wish i was 35 anyway <laughs> i'm sure 55 is still young isn't it nick well, that was last year, so no, carry on, carry on. Don't, don't, don't mention the age, don't mention the creaking bones. Anyway, earlier on we spoke to Danny Pedrosa and asked him how he felt about being part of KTM's MotoGP effort. Well, uh, yes, in, since the beginning it's, it's been super interesting to be a part of this uh, project in, in KTM uh, with MotoGP and uh, sharing my experience uh, with them and getting uh, step by step uh, 
the, the best uh, we could. But of course, uh, uh, now I think it's, it's interesting uh, to, to join uh, in a race because it puts you in a also different perspective uh, than on, on a normal test when I'm riding along. It's Hindorf here. 995 days since you were last in, in competition. Does that gap away change how you approach the, <laughs> the race weekend? Well, uh, it's difficult to say uh, because, like, um, you know, time passed and many days after my last race. Of course, the, the mentality you have in a, in a test is totally different than the mentality you, you have to have in a race. So, but not only for me, also for my, for my, my mechanics. And so, yeah, we, we hope to, to approach that in a, good, in a good way. But of course, we will have to adapt during the weekend to, to that process. And what do you think's changed in MotoGP in the time you've been away? Well, it's difficult to say exactly uh, what changed, but uh, for sure there is a change. Uh, first of all, in, in, the, in the riders, the generation is changing in this moment. And so we can see the speed they are going. It's, it's really high and the lap times are getting better every time. Uh, also, the bikes are improving technologically. But of course, watching from home, I can sense these things, but it's different um, to, to, to watch it from, from home than to be, to be on the field. So that's, that's also one of the reasons to try to, to understand more about how the racing is, is going with all these new technologies, how you have to race uh, against the others and how to, how to use the tools, the strategy you have to use in the race. Do you have any targets that, that have been set by you or the team? I suppose what I'm saying is what are your expectations? Well, uh, my focus for the GP basically is to, to try to uh, test the, the bike, the things we have on the bike with, uh, with the race situation, uh, like uh, qualifying, uh, practice time short, uh, plus race distance against others. Uh, that's one point and of course trying like I said trying to adapt to how the new racing strategies uh, are working and understanding how what what's the request uh, on that uh, rush moment like FP3 or qualifying uh, what happened on the starts uh, how the new rear high device and etc all these technological parts uh, are the thing I think we, we need to, to learn when, when we ride together with other riders. Um, and then my expectations, is difficult to say, uh, being so long, uh, so long away from the competition, uh, I don't know if it will you know, click like that to a racing mode mentality or, or not. Uh, but uh, you know, uh, we will try to enjoy the man as much as we can and I hope fans uh, we'll appreciate. So, Nick, what are your expectations for Danny Pedrosa's return? <laughs> um, 
well, the KTM obviously has sorted out its problems early season. It was very, very good at the A1 ring. Sorry, the Red Bull ring. I was aging myself there. The Red Bull ring. Uh, the Osterite ring, was it, by any chance? Yes, it was. Yes, yes. It's just by the airport or whatever it is. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I don't know. I think, I think it's interesting. I mean, he's not coming back like Mark was from an injury. He's actually coming back from not being injured. But obviously, he's got to get his racing head back on again. Um, I think you'll get he'll gather some, some, some good information. I think you'll finish in the top 10. It isn't the same. I mean, he's right, isn't it, Nick? It's not the same as testing. You don't have the same stresses and strains mentally as well as physically because there's nothing at stake testing other than possibly hurting yourself if something um, if something goes wrong. But Moto GP riders, uh, every time they pull their leathers on, they almost expect to get hurt. So that's not there. But there's a difference in, in competition. Uh, you know, I know the difference between taking somebody's heart rate just for a bit of fun when you're sitting, you know, and, and you're doing something and whatever. But then when it matters, people's heart rate begins to go up. The stress rises. You make different decisions. So it will be different for him. Yeah, absolutely. He, but I think his fitness will be fine because the thing about testing is you do a lot of laps. Good so they've done a lot of riding. And, uh, and yes, you aren't doing it in that last five percentile, which as you say, add extra stresses and strains, but it's not like his body won't be able to take them. It's not like he's been you know, sitting on the beach, you know, um, sitting, sitting in coladas for the last uh, two and a half years. So I think that won't be an issue. I think, no, you are race rusty, and I think he's right. There's a completely new generation of people he's not yes. raced with before. He's got to get used to how they race. The bikes are different. The launch systems are different. All that's different. The tyres are very different um, in race conditions. And my <laughs> thing about testing is he won't have ridden in almost certainly, I think about certainly not recently, maybe in the pre-seasons, he won't have ridden on a rubbered-up track. Here's some stats for you, because although he hasn't been competing for nearly a 1,000 days at 9.55, very Ducati number, uh, that mm. uh, for a man on a, a, DT, a, a DTM, a KTM bike, <laughs> um, he did ride with the MotoGP grid in March at La Salle in preceding t- pre-season at testing. In the mm. first test, he was two and a half seconds behind Fabio Quartararo. The second, he was 3.4 seconds down. Now, we don't know what his, his goal yeah, was there. He might have been KTM. testing something yeah. else. But And the KTM was terrible that time of year. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and he, knows, he knows and KTM knows the Red Bull ring very, very well. However, I'm going to throw this out now by way of a comparison. The average lap time gap between the race winner... And 15th, which is the last point scorer in MotoGP, is 1.2 seconds. Now, it's a short track, so I expect him to be there or thereabouts. That doesn't mean that I think he'll get points necessarily. But... No, I think he will. No, I, th- I, think, I, think he, I, think, I said I think, I think he'll be top 10. Okay. Okay. Um... It's not the only MotoGP story this week, though, because uh, okay. we have the news that Thailand has been cancelled. Well, the Thailand race they haven't cancelled the entire country. Just the uh, the race has gone. Yeah, I mean, again, it it gets a bit glib saying not my international surprise face as more events fall fall to the to the virus. Um, yeah, I mean, they haven't they haven't got a ready replacement at the moment. Uh, whether the same discount policies apply at the circuit in America as the F1 are going to use, um, perhaps they might do a back to back at the circuit in America. It'd be very good news, Mark Marcus, because it's obviously his other great track apart from the Saxon Ring. Yeah. Um, but yes. yeah, 
I think you know it's it's, it's it is sad because you know generally we this you know there's a lot of, it's a sad situation worldwide and it's 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 just disappointing it's just rumbling on. You can't plan yeah, anything. Exactly. Uh, just, just talk about forward planning just before we finish um, MotoGP. Um, KTM Nick have already applied for a second wild card entry for Pedroza, although they haven't said at which race, uh, or at least that hasn't been released. I mean, it would make sense to do the Austrian Grand Prix, which is the week after the Styrian Grand Prix where he's coming back, but maybe Silverstone or Aragon, somewhere like that, maybe even Mazzano. Yeah, I mean, my, my, my guess is actually it wouldn't make sense to do the Austrian Grand Prix because they're not after the points, they're after uh, the information. Good point. He's doing the first one, so they've got point. an extra bike for set up for the following week. So I would assume that they, they want to use him again. There'll be a track where they want to gain more information moving forward. Um but yeah, I mean, I think it's, it makes sense if he's he's up to it now. I think he was very resistant for the first couple of years, to be honest. He's up for it now, and it's 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 yeah, it's, it's one of the great advantages you can play because you're you're actually you're a test rider who's very very good, and the only reason his career stopped was unfortunately that in, that compounding of injuries, um, which he's now thankfully had a couple of years to get to at least recover somewhat from. And of course, the scarring will still be there. Uh, let's move away from bikes onto four wheels. And what court case do we think this is, uh, Nick? I don't actually, Do you know what? There's so many uh, rumbling in the background. Now. I don't know which one you're going to focus on. Go for it. Uh, this is the FIA uh, International Court of Appeal. Ah, right. This is this is the um, this is the Italian carter lobbing bits of his car and then beating people up in the park firm. Eh? It is. Luca Corbieri uh, appeals against the FIA's decision to ban him from racing for 15 years for throwing his uh, bumper at uh, Paolo Polito and then uh, f- starting a fight with him in Park Ferme. Which is odd, really, because he said he in the immediate aftermath he said he retired for life. So uh, if, he, if he's retired for life, why does it matter how long his ban is? Yes. Uh, he lost, didn't he? He lost the appeal, so the 15-year ban uh, will stand. I think he's lucky not to have had it extended just for chance that he's on. There is um, something about uh, uh, appeals. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what's the what's the term they use? Vexatious, vexatious Vex- appeals. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, um, but they obviously decided be, this wasn't. It, it, it was literally an open and shut case, though, wasn't it? Because there was video and everything. Oh, is that Dish Network? Um, <laughs> it, 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 and, and it just so happened that the man who's at the head of karting um, was there that weekend uh, who uh, actually witnessed the whole thing, Nick, didn't he? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's. I think the only thing you could appeal against was the length of the sentence, and it is a long time. Which is Keller, wasn't it? Sorry, I yeah, it is fifteen years. So, um, which does seem, oh, it was massive. Yes, sorry, does seem like time. a long time. Yes, but 
you know, that's what it is. He's, he was he was so far outside the uh, letter of the law of endangering people in a, in a deliberate endangerment act. Um, and then he had a fight afterwards as well. I know. Also uh, on video. I know. So when people say certain people are trying to kill certain people, perhaps they should actually look at a point where the difference between oh, something is deliberate. Don't close that. That's an open no, and shut case. Close it. Close it. Shut. Just making a point. Leave it. Zip it. Zip it. Uh, Midweek Motorsport. Series 16, episode 29. Where to next, Tim? Uh, can we do some ever since I was a young boy news? You can. Yes. Yes. Um, we'll be doing a lot more sports cars later on, but I'm just going to drop this in here because it kind of fits where we are. Uh, this is from Callum Eilot. Really uh, oh, yeah. excited oh, okay. to join Iron Links for this year's 24 Hours of Le Mans, a race of dreams of doing... Ever since, ever since I he was a young, young boy. boy. I kind of feel that Callum's been down the single-seater ladder, so he probably wasn't dreaming about it. It's just now it's a convenient thing to dream because he's been given it. But, yeah, it's good he's getting no, some race, stop, racing experience. Stop, stop, stop. Why, why has he been given it, Nick? You've, you talked about it already. Well, because obviously the, the people who are, who are on the cusp of making or not making Formula 1 drives are now looking for where else they might be able to get some cash. And more importantly, of course, he's in the Ferrari Academy. He may have go. a requirement for some drivers who know what they're doing in uh, sports car racing. Mm. Having announced their um, fully bespoke prototype this week as well, of which I am sure more later on. Definitely more of that later on. Uh, Shall we go to Silverstone? Yes, please. Can we start with Formula 2? Go on, then. Because, you know... I like Formula 2. I like all sorts <laughs> of junior single seasons. Because you have to, yeah, I know, yeah. Go on then. Um, and uh, the sprint race, or one of the two sprint race victories, yeah, was uh, done by uh, Robert Schwartzman. Yes. Uh, who won the race with no radio in his car. Really? What was he? So what did he do? Did he hum the tunes himself? He said afterwards, basically most of the race I had no radio, so I was just feeling myself. Well, it's, a, it's an interesting way of getting to the end. <laughs> yes. It was like the 70s, but it was quite cool. Realistically, on a sprint race where you're not changing tyres, you should be able to do that, to be Indeed. honest. Uh, so that was Formula 2. And uh, there was also a W Series won by Alice Powell. She did, yes. She uh, made most of Fabienne Volven's error just coming of about a lap after the uh, safety car, which actually saved uh, W Series from having their first Formula 3 race. Because basically the race was dull as ditch water until they pulled the safety car. It was completely unnecessary. So I don't know if Alan Gow got involved with the series, but there we go. They are very much uh, Formula 3 cars that they're racing in W Series, of course. Yes, they're the real ones. I mean, yes, they almost are Formula 3 cars, apart from the fact that they're all the same. So, no. Yeah. But then again, Formula 3 cars were all the same for years. They're, they're more, was, was they're more like no Formula 3 up. cars than Formula 3 cars are. Excellent. If you want to see some proper <laughs> Formula 3 cars... You want to go to Cadwell Park on Sunday, where there is a race for Formula 3 cars from 1946 to 1960. Oh, brilliant. Wow. And you can enjoy that. 500cc ones. Enjoy that with a commentary of Johnny Palmer. Oh, look, before you were alive, Johnny. 
Very much. <laughs> Before your dad was alive, Johnny. Almost. Well, I was there, though. I introduced them. It's all in the book. Uh, Should I tell everybody what's on tomorrow night? Tomorrow night at nine. <laughs> it's on the grid. Yes, it is. Uh, Brad Jones <laughs> Racing is Todd Hazelwood will be the guest of the team. And he'll be recounting his hugely impressive weekend in Townsville last time out and also giving some insight into what it's actually like to drive a super supercar uh, using uh, his uh, own battles to qualify uh, the, uh, well this year. As an example, uh, Todd will be guiding us through what it takes to turn on the Indian in the Endro is absolutely real, the Dunlop tyres, that for one lap, dash, count, uh, and how BJR and Tigford do things differently, what it's like to feel a brand new tyre on that all-important single lap. It's a fascinating insight into how ace drivers are working on their own driving as much as the car, just to get as much as they can out of the package in order to get further up the grid. Plus, there'll be an Aussie look at the British Grand Prix, a recap of the most excellent at Townsville 2.0 weekend that saw some of the best racing uh, of the season. Full crew this week, Shebex, that's Tony Shebecki, joined by uh, Krilzy, Walker and Rogers. They're all there for the deed brief, and that's tomorrow night at 9 o'clock here on RS1. I remember the days when Richard Crowell would come on and say that himself. Too big now. Mate. Too big. Yeah, look what's happened. Look what's happened. It is Midweek Motorsport Series 16, episode 29. <laughs> And Tim is going to move us somewhere else. Yeah, somewhere red, I think. Oh, that could be Ferrari, Tim. Is that where do you want to go? Do you want to go to Ferrari and and sports cars, maybe? Yes. No? Yes. That's red, <laughs> isn't it? It is. It is. Yes. Um, I, I just want to very quickly because I, I kind of interrupted myself there. I want to say hello to the sim racing uh, bar steward who's listening tonight, but I particularly want to say a hello to uh, Brody, who's celebrating with the missus on the Isle of Skye. What he hasn't done is said what he's celebrating tonight. Uh, Alexander Orkin is up in Brum watching Phoebe graduate with her master's biochemistry. Celebrating meal and champion to follow. Right Turn Lover is on the podcast and many others too. Uh, hello to Sarah Rigby, Elliot Lindemood. He's doing... Uh, uh, show of his own good luck with that uh, Kevin Payne's listening live from Blaisdell hello Fran listening live tonight and Neil Gardner on the podcast uh, Castroville Bunker for Carol Brink tonight uh, at Specutainment by the way if you would like to get in touch please um, oh oh Wednesday night meeting's been cancelled for Paul Markart so he's live uh, Paul, there's a little something on the way to you. Uh, Evil, let you know when it's going to get there. Um, it's not completely what you're expecting, but I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, and hello to Alexander Sagas, who's listening live. Uh, Alex, thanks for joining us. New name there. Uh, also to Andrew Mather, the great Gonzo, Jack Martin, Serafina, Jason Anthony, Doug Amner, uh, James O'Donnell, Uncle Tom Cobbley, and all. That brings us just about up to date. So Let's red car. Talk about red car. I mean, it might not, red be, car. might not be it's red. red car. Um, it's, it's red car. Only right? if it's you a, want to go a, to the British Steel plant. <laughs> or very the race good. course. Or the place where they film all the stuff from Dunkirk. Ferrari have confirmed the 2023 hypercar 
from the prancing horse will be a four-wheel drive hybrid-powered machine uh, built to prototype rakes. Now, um, if it's a hybrid and if it's a prototype, then the four-wheel drive is a given, actually, because you can, I'm pretty certain... I have to check back on this and, and at Specutainment if you think I'm wrong. I think if you do that and you have the hybrid, it's got to be on the front axle rather than the back axle. So basically it's a Toyota, Toyota GRO10 um, in the same vein as. So they're not going to do a road car or a variation on a road car, even though they would have sold every one, of course. They're going to do a prototype. It'll be built by Delara. And um, the smart money is that Michelotto will have influence on it as well. Um, Michelotto most recently involved in the GT program, which apparently is going to be hived off to Orica, which means they're not building a prototype for Ferrari or perhaps even anybody else with their... 2024 LMP2 chassis. Well, not an that. LMH prototype, but they might still be making a new generation P2. Yes, once we get the regulations for that. That's a whole different story that I think we have to follow up in, we'll in the coming... We'll do that at some other time. Uh, yes. Could we see this Ferrari racing in North America? Well, it's a good point, because Antonella Coletta, who's the director of Ferrari Competizione GP, uh, GT has been talking to Sports Car 365 and he says we've got a clear idea but it's too early to explain all the characteristics of the car it's a logical decision um, to take a prototype um, it will be a major, factor in the de- a major factor in the decision was the possibility to provide an identifiable link to roads cars and potentially even though this car hasn't been given a hypercar, to uh, race in other places outside of uh, of the uh, WEC. Uh, there are... Um, uh, the AF Corsa who run the car in the WEC. Uh, they've already decided that James Collado, Alessandro Pagidi, Miguel Molina and Daniel Serra um, will be doing the simulation and the testing. Um, however, uh, he did say we have a driver academy that runs very well. We will see how to choose the final lineup for the prototype. At, at the moment, we haven't taken any decision. Our lineup with the WEC works drivers in the simulator. We have the four guys who are here, plus Davide Regon, all official drivers. And as we um, mentioned Callum earlier, Callum Eilert is Callum uh, racing at Le Mans. Callum Eilert. I'm just going to keep saying Callum. Pilot. Um, but Daniel Serra is also racing at Le Mans, isn't he? Yeah, and so is James Collado. Yeah, fair point. Um, so, and who's the other name you mentioned? Uh, David Regon. Now, is he on the entry list for Le Mans? We'll cover this in a second. Yes, there. yeah, 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 he is. Um, so, uh, if uh, what they haven't said is whether there'll be factory car, whether there'll be. Um, private cars available, private chassis available for that. The general consensus is that anything that's built as a bespoke prototype by a manufacturer probably won't have to start with. So Toyota aren't ever going to let them go into private hands. Um, neither are Peugeot 
although there might be a rebranding exercise to a different brand in the States. Um, although, that being said, sources at Monza at the weekend said they probably wouldn't do that, although they do want to race at IMSA, but hey-ho. Um, and whilst we're talking about that, can we do a little bit of Monza? Uh, uh, let's move so, yeah, on to the that? second hour for Monza. Anything else okay. you want to say about this uh, Ferrari prototype? Um, it's probably going to be red. So that's one uh, red car. Let's move on to a different uh, red car. In fact, same red manufacturer, Ferrari, uh, being very ambitious, aren't they, Nick? Very good. Is this, what is the subject of this particular news item? Oh, sorry. This is Formula One. <laughs> Hooray! It's not the same when you prompt it, is it, really? I'd completely <laughs> forgotten we did that after eight weeks away. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, oh, what dear. what does uh, Matteo Binotto really want to achieve? Keeping his job for um, for Ferrari. Well, I'm guessing. I, I don't know this particular story, but because it's probably some, you know, Gazetta della Sporto interview. I, I'm assessing he wants to create create a legacy where they can win as often as they did when they had uh, Ross Brawn, Rory Byrne, and the gang there. Uh, this is actually an interview with Sky Italia yesterday, uh, yeah. where we said, right. it's clear that this team can take third place. They always did that oh, in previous years, except for 2020. They often also finished second. So it's our ambition <laughs> to finish third. There's no doubt we right absolutely want to finish third. Our goal, even before well, finishing third, is to improve in every aspect as a team. We are doing that. Mm. We saw that in the race pace. And I think third position is just a foregone conclusion for our hard work now. Terrific. I mean, in fairness, the car has massively improved from the problems it was having, um, for example, at Recard. Aren't you steering uh, into Formula One team by team, which will be later in the show? Uh, yeah. I mean, there's other things, other big news stories which we're covering Formula One team by team as well. But um, <laughs> Really? Yeah, think? apparently something happened. Anyway, but no, I mean, I think I would say it's, it's kind of a lack of amb- I've realised third's the best I can hope for this year. I would have hoped he would practically have, yeah, he would be a little bit more ambitious Sorry. moving forward. But yes, they do look, um, they do look pretty good for that. They've got both drivers firing and the cars looking better on a mix of circuits rather than just those low speed, those um, street circuits that was going so well on earlier. Uh, what was Mick Schumacher driving yesterday? I know, I know, I saw it. All right, hind up at the back. What was Mick Schumacher driving? He was jo- driving the Jordan 191, as was Karen Chandock at Silverstone. It just so happened. I didn't, I didn't know this was happening. I had to be at Silverstone for another reason. Um, at the Porsche um, Centre and at their Human Endeavour uh, complex, um, which was very interesting, of which more later. Uh, probably not tonight, though. And... As I was finishing breakfast after that, I heard the unmistakable sound of not one but two Formula One cars, actually. A loud one and a not-so-loud one. And uh, I was somewhat intrigued by this because, obviously, it was a Tuesday after the Grand Prix, uh, not realising there was any testing going on, but was able to look from the balcony on the on the uh, outside of the hangar straight, driver's left, and see the... Uh, Jordan whizzing down Hangar Strait, and I, I presume Tim, it was for some kind of TV uh, TV feature that was almost certainly came from the mind of Neil Wooding. I, uh, I would very honest. much imagine so. Yeah, so we'll see that on Sky Sports F1 
in a few weeks' time. Oh, I, I expect, yeah, we've been all the Sky Sports, so that's a big one there. It's 30 years, 30 years since the debut of Michael Schumacher in Formula 1 at the Spa Grand Prix in 1991, and they've got Mick to drive the car. Yeah, it looked great. I tell you what, it looked tiny. It looked absolutely well, tiny. Yeah. Well, it is less than half the size of a contemporary Formula 1 car. It's more importantly, it's 200 kilograms lighter. Mm. It's about 220, actually. And louder as well. And I don't mean Nicky. It, mm-hmm. it, it, it sounded... The downshift into store... Which would have been a gearbox. Which was an actual gearbox with an actual... Actually, when did Mick last drive a racing car with a gearbox? And a clutch pedal. Yes, good point. Because he's... I think even... Did he, did he start in Formula 4? I think that's got a gearbox. I'm not sure. Even most, most of them really old paddle now. Three sounded, and two and one are certainly. Sounded great. The upshift sounded great. The downshift sounded great. It was phenomenal. And it just makes what you realise how long, how far it's come on. I mean, 30 years is not a small amount of time in anything. Certainly not in, in Formula One. Anyway, sorry, I digress. Um, there was another car there as well, but Tim might it not want was... me to talk about that. No, you can talk about that as well. Right, well, the other car, and this was the one that I was more intrigued about because um, we hadn't realised what it was, Nick, when I came to no, see no. you. In fact, straight after that, we hadn't realised what was going on, had we? No, we thought it was a filming day, um, which is quite common. They'll, they'll use one, their, the teams will use one of their filming days, you know, a couple of days. It's, yeah, because they, they can gain information, even though their, their filming days are done on Pirelli test tyres. And certainly with the rubber up circuit, it would be more information. But it wasn't, it actually was Pirelli, but it was, a, it was one of the 18 inch wheel rim tests, which by a method of elimination and colour coordination, we worked out with Aston Martin. It was, it was Sebastian Vettel, who. Uh, Clearly had been a very naughty boy of the weekend and was set by the headmaster to do litter-picking duties on Sunday night, probably all day Monday as well. If he'd been in high-vis, that was community service, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Probably all day Monday as well. There was still an awful lot to be picked up uh, when I was there yesterday. And here was this Aston Martin. Nick saying, no, I bet it was only doing 150 miles an hour. I don't think so, Nick. No, it wasn't. It was flat out. And the thing that struck me... Even from the limited amount of uh, I could see the car, was how they're doing their very best to make the 18-inch rims not look like 18-inch rims. Well, the, 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 you saw the mock-up of the 2022 car that was all over the, mm. the, the world. Was it Thursday or Wednesday last week? But mm. Thursday last week, um, they've got like inner rims. I don't know why they're trying to make them look like 13, but they got this kind of inner area, like a 10-inch uh, mini rim in the middle of know, it, didn't I, it? I, it's a bit weird. I mean, I don't know. I think the 18-inch wheels look good on the on the Formula 2 cars, but, you know. Who am I to comment on the aesthetics of F1? Well, how do they decide, Nick, who's doing it? Because, obviously, what other teams could point and say, well, uh, it surprises me not at all that Seb Vettel put his hand up for that after his community service. Mm-hmm. Um, because he'll, he'll take any advantage that he can get. I've seen what yep. it's like at Race of Champions. But, but how is the team... Selected because presumably Aston Martin aren't the only team. No, no, it's it's, there's a program throughout the year of tests. Every team has the equal right to take part in the test. Some teams decide not to for financial reasons. Now, interestingly, uh, Mercedes backed out of a wet weather test um, earlier this year because they didn't want to spend the money on wet weather testing. When there was dry weather testing, which I think was after Imola, Lewis did all the running. And Lewis doesn't like testing. But Lewis did all the running on ah. the 18-inch rim. So See previous yeah, answer not, about getting... Yeah, yeah, not missing a trick. You, you know, the thing about Lewis is it's very interesting that he also did a lot of, he's been doing a lot of simulator work because he knows when it's useful and when it's what. 
but it's not. And it's useful. He'll do it even though he doesn't want to do it. When he doesn't think it's useful, he won't do it. Yeah, so point. it's quite interesting. But yeah, but no, it's, it's evenly allowed. Everyone's got the same amount of chances that they, some of the teams perhaps have only taken half their goes because obviously, unfortunately, it, whilst, whilst this is a long thing, this, 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 this testing is exempt from the cost cap. However, the problem is with the payment of the staff, and it's a really complicated argument about ah. why it actually doesn't work right. And theoretically, you want to run a different set of staff to run the car, they'd have right, to put right, in the whole right. year, and then, yeah, yeah, then yeah. they'd be in the, in the cost cap. And it's part of this cost capery, which I, as you know, I'm not a fan of. You are not a causing... cost cap. If well, I think there's, yeah, there's another thing that's going to come up later about the cost cap, and it's you know we've already seen right. it you know, with with the Valtteri Bottas' just, accident. I just I just I think it's wrong for F1 to have a cost cap, but I'm completely out of spec with the rest of the world. I'm, not, sh- I'm not sure you are. I think there's quite a few Formula One teams who would agree with you. Tim's got one more more story, but before he, we go to that, I just want to ask one more thing about this 18-inch tyre test. Um, this, of course, is on this year's car, which was never designed to have 18-inch frames, no. so. Uh, it, uh, no, it's a mule car. It's a mule car. They've all designed a mule car. They haven't just slapped oh. it onto this year's car. They are mule cars based on last year's cars, which obviously are very similar to this year's cars, so it's pretty much the same. Um, where there have been, because you, you, you couldn't just slap an 18 inch wheel on, it wouldn't work um, because of the geometry and the, and, and the wishbone. That was exactly what I was going to ask. So Thank they you. have, it is, but it, is, it is not obviously optimised. Um, it and is, it's not next year's car, which is designed no. to have 18-inch rims and, and the attendant is, difference in sidewalls. In fairness, in fairness, a non-optimised this year's car, sorry, last year's car, should be producing similar downforce to the much-reduced downforce that's supposed to be being produced next year. So as far as structure and construction, oh. that's fine, even though it's making the downforce in a very different way. And Pirelli could tell, I don't know, Pirelli would tell you whether... You know, it, whether it matters how a downforce is being produced or whether it doesn't matter, it's just the total, you know, downward pressure is what really counts. But yeah, so they are, they are, you know, they're they're, they're okay. But I'm sure if you actually raced them, they'd find about five seconds, about half an hour, you know, in optimising mm. them. But it's, okay. it's, it's that's what's going on. That's all from me. Meanwhile, Tim has this. Uh, we're going to talk about Alfa Romeo Sauber uh, and who their drivers might be in 2022. Uh, because Frederick Vasseur has not ruled out uh, any option of either keeping both, losing both, or keeping one and not the other. Well, the thing that came out this week, apparently they've got free choice now, and they yes. haven't got to oh, give really? one to Ferrari. However, obviously, that doesn't mean they won't give one to Ferrari, um, because that will come with an advantage of probably not having to pay the driver, um, as the payment <laughs> will come through from Ferrari. Um, yeah, I mean, the situation they've got is difficult because they've got two drivers who are kind of like meh you know Giovinazzi's better than last year but still not great Raikkonen appears to have gone slightly downhill in qualifying but is still racing very well um I think in in any other environment you would replace both drivers it's but it's a difficult season being uh, a complete reset of regulations and perhaps you want some experience of f1 in want some continuity with a new car, car next year, don't you? Well, but, but who's who's doing the testing of the new car though? Who's their who's their test driver? Uh, well, the new car hasn't been produced, John. The new car won't hit the ground until March next year. Yes, I know that. But who who is their test driver? So who will be doing? Well, Callum Eilert's doing some some of the simulator stuff. Obviously, again, mentioned, second time he's got mentioned today. Ever since his young boy wanted to drive an from our simulator. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I personally think that with, with, with you know, if they, yeah, that Giovinazzi's okay, 
Raikkonen's on the way down. They should really replace both. Or if they're going to keep one, keep Giovinazzi. But then again, you know, perhaps they think that the PR the advantage of keeping Raikkonen the great. But, you know, you look at what's available and there's a lot of people out there who are better than those two. You have to say that 27-year-old Giovinazzi is no better than 41-year-old Raikkonen, is he? No, no, he's, he, he, he's, he's, yeah, before you, obviously, let's get this caveat I always put in, all F1 drivers are really, really good. Um, but yeah, he's not really doing much um, spectacular. Um, Raikkonen is obviously slowly going downhill, and how fast you think he's going downhill um, will depend on your feelings about Kimi Raikkonen. Um, but there are so many drivers out there who are better than this. Um, that you kind of think, you know, if you're going to take a rookie, well, you've got Islet to choose from, you've got uh, Schwartzman who's going very well, all that sort of stuff. One of the most popular topics on the Midweek Motorsport Listeners Collective, people asking for advice and asking what other people are doing about Le Mans this year and whether they're travelling. Now, we're a global organisation, we're a global broadcaster, um, so we can't answer everybody's individual question. We're going to try and help a little bit tonight. Uh, Eve Hewitt, Managing Director of Radio Show Limited, is uh, our liaison with the ACO and therefore has been in constant contact with them. Let's start with British first of all, Eve. And what I think is probably the easiest question I'm going to ask you, um, broadly speaking, it's going to fall into vaccinated or non-vaccinated Let's start with non-vaccinated. If you're non-vaccinated, can you go to France? Not really. There's a great big long list of essential reasons for going to France. And unfortunately, attending the world's greatest motor race is not on that list. Right. So that's the easy one. Yeah. Unless you're, unless you're taking part. So there's an exemption for teams, drivers? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's the very low, It's the very bottom of the list of things that count as an essential reason. The rest are largely to do with legal or um, family, family issues. emergency, etc. So, but but like I said, going going to Le Mans doesn't count as a spectator. Right. Correct. Okay. Uh, Marshalls, if you are working, grey area. It's a very grey area, and I, as far as I am aware, they have not been issued an exemption. So uh, I genuinely don't. I just genuinely don't know the answer to that. And and um, you know we have been in touch with marshalling organisations, and most of them are waiting. I think. Right. So let's presume we're staying with the Brits at the moment. So if you're in the United Kingdom, um, no. Let's do it. It's amber. We're amber. So if you're in an amber territory, and you can go and find out what other territories are amber for for France. We're amber, so it's not just Brits, it's any amber country right. this would apply to. Right, and where would people find that information? Um, for the purposes, if, if you go to gov.uk foreign-travel-advice forward slash France and entry requirements, you can find all of the links in there that I'm going to talk about, and there is a list of what which countries are red, which countries are green, and which countries are amber. So you can that go. That you're travelling from to go to France. To co- correct. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, all right. So we're amber. The UK is amber. Correct. If you're in an amber country for France, go and find out before you even start thinking about it. So, if you're in one amber com- country, um, of which the UK is one, and you're not vaccinated, you're not going. Simple correct. as that. So vaccinated then. One vax or two? Two. If it's you have to be fully vaccinated. Or a single shot of the Johnson and Johnson. Y- yeah. 
But that's that's then a four week lead time, isn't yes, it? Yes, it is. Yeah, right. and and again, that information's on that bit of the gov.uk site, which I'll post the link to on the collective. So good news then, if you're double vaxxed and you're in amber country, you can just go to France. It's not a problem. No. Right. If you're vaccinated, you don't need to have an essential reason to travel, but you do need to be able to prove your vaccine status. The good news is, for access to France, your NHS passport or your printed letter will both work. Again, that's for Brits. That's for Brits. Or the equivalent uh, or, or, from whichever country you're coming from. Indeed so. Right. Um, from the 18th of July, you, which was three days ago, mm-hmm. uh, you won't need proof of a negative PCR test to enter. France. Correct. Right. But you might need it to travel. So you need to check with your travel provider. I, I suspect that there are still a number of airlines that will require you to have a negative PCR test to fly. They talk about a fit-to-fly test, test, which correct. is normally a PCR test. Uh, what about the ferries in Eurotunnel? Again, you need to check with them what their regulations are, and, are they, and they may change. And that is part of the problem with all of this, and I'm sure people realise this, is, which is why we wanted to try and get some clarity, is it could change at any moment. Mm-hmm. And that's why people like Simon Calder... Uh, who's a travel correspondent, have said, honestly, you know, you've got to be very, very careful because you've got to be, and currently, you've got to be prepared to isolate when you get home. Right. So that gets you into France. Correct. Um, Le Mans is an event. Yes. Uh, We've got, we've relaxed here in the UK quite a lot of what's going on around events. What's happening? What's the current situation with events in France? They're just starting to tighten their restrictions because they are experiencing what they're referring to as their fourth wave. Uh, there's a big push on vaccinations, obviously, for, for French nationals. The The other thing that is happening is they are applying new restrictions to entering certain situations. So gatherings of more than 1,000 people, uh, attractions, campsites, etc., restaurants. Um, oh, wow. You will wow. you will have to provide um, proof of your um, vaccination. Yeah. The problem is that as things stand, the UK NHS certificate is not compatible with the tous contre Covid verif system. So in theory, so that that's that's the French national certificate. It's their health pass system that they've introduced. Right. Okay. Um, and that's just recently gone live. And unfortunately, the NHS certificate's not, not compatible. So the NHS... I, I keep backtracking here yep. so that we don't confuse people. NHS certificate, proof thereof, printed out, by the way, I would say, uh, fine to get into the country. Correct. But potentially not even to get into a restaurant, a campsite, uh, an hotel. It doesn't say that yet. Right. But I wouldn't be at all surprised if they but, wanted to, to check. But you said an attraction. Yes, indeed. So what are the ACOs saying? They're not at the moment. Right. They, they, Sorry, to be clear, they are going to be asking for what they call the health pass, which is this tous contre Covid verif thing. So you're, you won't be able to get that in able to use it because your NHS vaccination certificate isn't compatible, which means... That in means order you can get to France, but you can't get into you the can't circuit. Get into the circuit, which would mean that in theory, to be allowed access to the, to attractions, which we assume the circuit will be, 
you'd need to be able to present a negative PCR antigen test taken in France in the previous 48 hours. Now, they're available at pharmacies. Yes, they are. Yeah, absolutely. Widely available. Widely available. However, you have to consider that there'll be at least 50,000 people extra in Le Mans that week. But but also I'm considering the fact that if it only lasts, what did you say? 48. 48 hours. So if you got there on Wednesday and wanted to go to your campsite on Wednesday, you could do your PCR test on Wednesday on your way in, go mm-hmm. to a supermarché or somewhere that had a, a pharmacy, yep. get it done, and it comes back pretty much straight away, doesn't it? Yeah. So, right, then you go. So that's Wednesday afternoon, Thursday afternoon, takes you through to uh, Friday. Yep. You need that's one. 48 hours. Uh, you'd have to have another one if you left the campsite and came back on fr- later than Friday morning. Uh, and then that would take you through Friday, Saturday. If you left the campsite on Saturday night, you would need another one for Sunday and potentially Monday morning. Correct. That's a bit complex, isn't it? Is. It is. It is. And, I, and I, as I say, I have yet to see anything from the ACO to explain how they think that will work or whether they think that they'll have an exemption, which I rather doubt. Um, so that that's the that is the situation as right things stand right now. Right. What um, else do we need to know? Uh, if you're British and you're coming back from France, you will have to isolate for ten days. Although you can do test release, which is day five, five and eight. Right. Five okay. Um, if you are from a green country, going to France, you just have to have proof of vaccination. And, and uh, the other thing you need is that both all groups need actually is a thing called the Déclaration sur l'honneur or a sworn statement, which is basically to say, I haven't got, I haven't got COVID. And where do we find that? I don't feel so. Again, same place. If you go to the gov.uk foreign travel site, travel section, it has all the links to where you can download those. Uh, And that isn't just for British people. That is a resource that anybody can use if you can get onto the gov.uk foreign travel. Uh, There are links to the French... French embassy and the... And they are very helpfully in English, they those are. forms On as well. On the whole, yes. although the list of, ex- list of um, reasons for travelling is not, that's wholly in, that's wholly in French, but it's, it's pretty easy Obvious. to read and, and see what, what's what. The problem, of course, is if you get to France and you've been on site for a couple of days and you go to have your PCR test on Friday morning yeah. and you test positive, yeah. that's it. That's it what? That's it. You can't... You, 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 you can't get back in. You, you can't pick your gear up if it's a campsite. And you won't be allowed into the circuit. Uh, and then you've tested positive, so how do you get home? Would you That's then have to go into quarantine on the way back? I do, well, you don't, need a, you don't need a negative PCR test to leave the country. But you need... But you... But, you know, and you... That's that's where it starts to get very okay. complicated, and everybody has that problem. And can I j- just say what we always talk about on our travel is getting travel insurance, even for these short trips. Is that impossible? Difficult? Expensive? It's likely to be expensive. It isn't impossible because the Foreign and Commonwealth Office no longer says don't travel. Uh, it's not on the do not travel. Uh, it's just on the we kind of don't think it's a great idea list. Right, so give that for everybody a great resource to go on to to check whether your country, where you are originating from, is on the French amber, green or red list and everything else with the links is what? gov.uk forward slash foreign dash travel dash advice forward slash France 
and and honestly, I can't recommend it highly enough. It's and it's it's updated really regularly. Oh, and one th- other thing uh, I meant to ask you: there was some concern about what vaccines were approved and accepted by Europe and France, in particular. What's the situation with that? That's been that's been rectified. So it doesn't matter what version of the the, the specific issue was to do with the uh, versions of the vaccine that were manufactured in India and they were the ones ending with um, Z001, and W 3 That's now been sorted out and those are now acceptable. So all AstraZeneca and in fact all of the other ones, if they've been... It's Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson, Johnson and AstraZeneca. Right, okay. Uh, and once again, Eve gave you that website. It's a, it's a UK government, but it does mention all the other countries and the links there are updated very, very regularly. Eve, thanks very much for trying to shed a little light. Yes, thank you, Eve. John, we have uh, a Scotsman on the line. Not just a Scotsman, we have Paymark, our Scotsman. Paymark, how are you doing? Hello, John. I'm very well, thank you. Yes, having a, a very enjoyable evening, I must say. I, I was with you earlier on. Um, we're talking about uh, an extraordinary event that's been put together at virtually no notice, which is... The uh, the race against the floods. It's a VCO event on the on the Grand Prix circuit of the Nurburgring to raise money for uh, the flood victims fund uh, around the Eiffel Mountains. When I left, it was about two and a half grand that had been raised. Uh, that was uh, about an hour and a half, two hours ago. What 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 what's the situation now, Peter? Well, it has gone completely bananas since you left, John. Um, it's uh, descended into chaos, but chaos is good when you're raising money for charity. It has gone over four thousand euros Excellent. since you left, and um, your the, the anecdote you gave earlier about uh, buying laps and basically buying your way into Victory Lane for in the good name of charity that has grown arms and legs. Excellent. The Nurburgring is now for the next hour and 55 minutes, is known as the George Simmons ring, because, uh, which cost €400. Euros, um, and because George Simmons was uh, challenged for €40 euros to do a whole lap in reverse, in which he blew up his that. engine. I'm yes. look, I was looking at that. He, he, he did a whole lap. Well, he did part of a lap in reverse, blew up his engine, so quit to the pits and came up and did another lap to get the money. Is that right? That's correct. Yes, he did. He went and he went and completed it. And uh, we've been uh, selling off the corners as well. There's <laughs> the Maladrome, the the Zebra. Of course, fans of Turner Motorsport will know their sort of sister sim racing team, the BS Competition or the Zebras. They've got the Zebrina instead of the oh, Arena. Oh, very good. Yep. Very um, good. And and the, and and a, uh, quite a few more as well. So it's been a whole lot of fun. And uh, the whole sim racing and motor racing community is coming together. We've got Red Bull Racing in there as well, which has given us many tempting jokes, as you can imagine. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it's just been fantastic. And for what a great cause. I mean, I I, I was reading a bit up this this morning about how this is Germany's worst natural disaster for over half a decade. 170 people have lost their lives and... You know, it's a it's an area of the world which, really, if you're a motor racing fan, it's it's very close to the heart. Peter, wherever just, you live in the globe, they're just coming back to green now. Let's just see the guys. Mega, 
Baguette. You can hear what's going on there. Yeah, well, well, I also heard that there was money paid to hear I don't some... think the listener heard you? any of that, uh, John. Oh, so if I do that one, gonna be, uh, that's the one. Restarting from the lead. We've got a couple of TCR cars in second and third. That's Ewan at the moment, uh, who is talking to that. I heard there was money pledged for you to... Was it you that was singing, Peter? Um... Well, um, yes, uh, the, um, a very kind man called Maximilian Fritz donated a hundred euros to get a commentator to sing about their favourite corner in the tune of the Backstreet Boys. I want it that way. Excellent. Um, so I, I, and none of my two colleagues were were keen to do it. Um, so I decided, well, it's been a short career. Why not make it a good career? Um, and uh, and and come up with a song about the Vorsteiner curve. Very so good. It's, it's on the. Thanks to the joy of social media, it now lives on forever. Right. Well, I've got something else for you. Are you going back on, Peter? Oh, yes. Um, oh, we've had so much fun. Right. We really, okay. we really have, yes. So uh-huh. I've got a double challenge for you. For 100 euros uh, to the Eiffel uh, Fund, the Eiffel Flood Victims Fund, mm-hmm. Um here at Midweek Motorsport, the responsible adult, so you can play me, which you can't because she's no, one of no our bosses. Dare. Right, no. exactly. She wants to hear you on the stream of the video, but also on this show, do your Alan McNish impression. Oh, well, do you know, that would be very, very hard for me to do because the Audi TDI technology really does give us a competitive advantage over our competitors. Magnificent. They just sound like the same person to me. (laughs) (laughs) Given you've got Red Bull involved in this. I'm sorry, Alan. They made me do it. It's for charity. I'm sorry. Peter, given you've got Red Bull involved in this, uh, can you name one of the, uh, rename one of the corners as cops and then forbid everyone from overtaking there? Because obviously it's dangerous. Right. You know what? That needs 50 euros. euros. I I think you should fine people 50 euros if they overtake at whichever corner you rename cops. First corner. I think oh, no, it's turn nine, isn't it? It's turn nine. You're referring to the malodrome, right? Is that <laughs> what's? Have we got a name for turn nine yet? That's that's. Uh, we no. need to get onto Christian Horner right now and say to Christian, um, we need to, <laughs> we need to, you need to give us some some money. What? what so hang on, what, what, just over four thousand euros? Did you say, Peter? Yes, we're. Um, I'll, hold on, I'll hit refresh because it is a fluid situation. I mean, the, the names of corners and circuits and drivers are changing by the... Although, one thing we haven't managed, John, is able to sell Paul Smith's Super Aguri t-shirt. He does not want, he does not want to sell that. I was on He's with not. you when he was doing that earlier. Not Sir Paul Smith, because honestly, if Sir Paul Smith had done the Super Aguri team wear, they, they would have done a lot better out of it, in fairness. Uh, I'll let you get back. You have to okay. promise... Right, and Eve's going to be listening. You have to promise that when you get back on, you've got to tell why you have to do that. And you can, t- in fact, perfect because there's a class in here for VW Ventil TDIs. So mm. you've got to do the TDI in McNish when you go on and talk about that class. And when we hear that, there's a hundred euros going into the fund. Okay. Okay, but you must you must do one thing for me. You, I'm sure you've got Alan McNish's phone number. Can you send him a message and say I'm very sorry and that he's my hero? <laughs> don't tell him that, please. Don't tell him. Don't tell him. It's that clipped way, the, the very precise way that he talks. You've got that off professional. Off. <laughs>
<laughs> You've got that down to an art. Peter, thanks. Yeah. Listen, thanks for jumping in tonight. I know that was all thrown together by VCO and the guys at Race Spot TV um, very, very quickly. Listen, in the big scheme of things, is 4,000 euros a lot? No. But it's it's a contribution from those of us who love the Eiffel region and who have been there to watch motor racing, whether it's whether it's virtually or in real life. Uh, Peter Mackay, thanks for joining us tonight, mate. Thank you. Midweek Motorsport, where John has just 48 seconds to tell you what's coming in the next hour. <laughs> uh, by the way, Eve's about to tweet where you can watch the end of that race. There's uh, just over, just under two hours uh, to go. All right, still to come. This evening, Nick's team by team from Formula One at the weekend. Apparently, there was a bit of controversy. Ray! Um, The sprint. Yes, absolutely. Uh, We also are going to have a bit of US news. Uh, We've got uh, some WRC news. Your tweets at Specutainment. But next, we're talking sports cars again. Because the full, unadulterated... And unmitigated list of entries for the Le Mans 24 2021 is out. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMans.com. And for that, we're going to say good evening to Shay Adam. Hello. Hello. <laughs> I was almost surprised to be introduced for this segment. How good was how good was P Max McNish's impression? There? He actually has Alan McNish there, doesn't he? He does. He does. Yeah. It was the. He's got an Alan McNish doll that he squeezes or something, you know, or uh, you know, because it's just, you know, it's like, it's that clipped, precise way of talking. Um, that it is. That is so McNish. That was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, uh, we're talking about the Le Mans twenty four hour entry list because we now have one released yesterday, which has no TBAs on it. Uh, which oh really? How 30, am I going to get a drive? Thirty. Well, you could uh, <laughs> injure someone, or you could hope that one of the res- <laughs> you could hope that one of the reserve entries uh, uh, has to take. Uh, well, not the first reserve, the second reserve, or third or fourth no. reserves gets a, a place because they still do have TBAs. Um, let's start with uh, the. Now I kind of drive the second one. It would have to be one, three, or. Uh, well, one's four. got a full set of drivers. I, okay. Um, I could get you in with four, John. Do you think? Yeah, of course, That's doable. Sir. Yeah. I yeah. If they would, honestly, frankly, if they just put me name on the list, I'd be happy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually ever have to get there. Just to say, well, my name was on the entry list for Le Mans. Yes, you were on a reserve. Yeah, we never got the entry. Yeah. It, it would, yeah. it would matter won. to me. Uh, uh, we're going to start with the top class, Shay. Um, where, where the only one that we were really waiting for was Glickenhaus, who had seven drivers for six seats, and who has missed out in their game of musical chairs? Uh, Gustavo Menezes is the answer to that. No American driver among the lineup for the American team. A Ooh. bit of a surprise there. But it is Pipo, Olivier Pla, and Frank Malou in one car. Briscoe, Westy, and Dumas in the second car. So the good old 67 Ford GT lives again yes. another day. Yes, it does. Exactly. Yeah, very good. Repeat so after that, me, so Shay. Maya. 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 Just think of Maya. Not good year. Maya. So hang on. Brazilian, <laughs> France, France. 
Australia, Great, Great Britain, and France. So the Great American team has more French drivers than anything else. That's very smart when you're going to Le Mans. Um, it is. Yeah, no, I like that. I think that's, that's very good indeed. Um, they had an interesting Monza, which we'll talk about uh, in a moment. Nothing else in the top class to go for. So what about LMP2? Where, where, have, the, where have the gaps been filled, Cher? Um, in LMP2, there were a couple of things that caught my attention. Um, there weren't that many gaps waiting to be filled. We needed to know who was going to be driving the ARC Bratislava car officially. Olivier Webb, Oliver Webb, excuse me. No, I like and, Olivier uh, and, and so will the team. Olivier Webb. Yeah. Yes, absolutely yeah. right. Oliver and uh, the son of Miro Kanopka, uh, Maches, is going to be driving in that car. Now, we had found out that they were going to be driving the car, but they weren't on the official entry list. So I hadn't put them in the book of knowledge. You know, they weren't they weren't officially official, so they weren't included. Um, but the big surprise in LMP2 is that the racing team India Eurasia car, which was supposed to be full of Indian drivers, has not well, it did have two of them, didn't India it? In it. Yes, but it they've had gone. two. They've both gone. It needed one more. And they've gone in the wrong direction. Um, so now they've got James Winslow, John Corbett out of Australia, a man who's been doing ELMS, Michelin, Le Mans Cup, uh, driving various prototypes to try and get ready for this. And then Tom Clote from Belgium. So they do have quite a diverse lineup. But unfortunately, it's not that uh, with the orange, white and green flag over the door of the it, car. That is, that's two bronze and a silver there as well. Mm-hmm. So they'll be in the pro-am category. And we should remind yes. ourselves there is a split in LMP2, and there are uh, 10. Ele- 10 or 11 pro-ams? There were 11, right? and now there are 10 pro-am enters okay. uh, because Anders Fjordback and Jan Magnussen were initially listed in a pro-am for high-class racing. That's car number 49. But then Kevin got added to the mix, and that's two platinums and a silver, so yeah. they no longer fit the specs for the All pro-am. Right. GT Pro, we kind of knew what was going on. Earl Bamber yeah. and Lawrence Vanter uh, officially were still TBAs. Obviously, we knew that that had been announced, so there's not no big uh, changes there. Um, yeah. I think Com Ledegar for the 51 EF Corsa, um, we'd, we'd heard about that. Davide Regon, who we spoke about um, earlier. Uh, now, he, uh, Davide, is a Ferrari driver who's been doing some of the the testing in the sim world for that Ferrari LMP bespoke prototype, as we now know. What about GTE Am? It's another uh, a huge class, 23 cars for GTE. Yeah. Don't tell me that, by the way, that, that, that amateur drivers don't want to win, race GTE cars. 23 cars, mostly funded by... Amateur stroke gentleman drivers. Where where have we got some additions there? Where have we got the the uh, the, the TBAs replaced by names? Oh well, the first and foremost thing about the LMGTE AM class is that every car does have a particular weak link. There's no sneaky car in this category. Okay. There there is somebody in each of the cars who has less experience. Than everyone else. So I, I will say that first and foremost, and a round of applause goes out as far as that's concerned, because there's no 
sneaky way of, of trying to steal a win in this category, which is something I'm very impressed with. A um, couple of driver changes here that caught me out. The 46 Team Project One car, Axel Jeffries, was going to make his debut in the race alongside Dennis Olsen yes. and Anders Bucart. It's now Maxwell Root. He drove with the team at Monza, and there was a... Um, I don't want to say announcement, but there was something from the team saying that Axel would be back in the car for Le Mans. Now seeing Max Root on the entry list, that had me a little bit surprised as far as that's concerned. Um, 55 Spirit of Race was the next car with a change in it. Aaron Scott was listed against Matthew Griffin and Duncan Cameron as that trio. They've been a trio for a couple of years now at Le Mans, but Aaron Scott no longer in the car. It's David Perel out of South Africa. Uh, making his Le Mans debut. And this yes. is another one of those press releases ever since I was a young boy. Um, it actually says on his website that his dream is to participate in the 24 Hours of Le Mans. So that's pretty and cool. And he did really well uh, at Monza in the ELMS race, David Perel, and was yeah. absolutely bubbling about driving a GT car. And that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. When people think... Um, when people think that GTE is a dead class and we need GT3, I'm sorry, you're wrong. Because yeah. you can drive GT3. I can drive a GT3 car. Um, anybody can go and drive a GT3 car in regional, uh, in national uh, events. All right, you can, you can go and drive a GT3 car in an old GT3 race at the, at the Spa 24. But a GTE car at Le Mans... That's something different. That's something yep. special. And, and non-pro drivers, as well as pro drivers, want to do it. The, there are far fewer driver aids. You want to put yourself up against the pro drivers and see how close you can get? Jump in a GTE car. <laughs> and clearly, there's plenty of people, here that still want to do that. And David Perel was mighty at, at Monza two weekends ago. And he was, he was effusive on, on Twitter about it. Yeah, and it's it's good to see people like that getting another opportunity or, or getting a opportunity. Mm. A driver who's getting another opportunity is Ricardo Pera, who's yeah. now in the other Team Project One car. Ricardo's been running with them all year, but he wasn't officially announced to run at Le Mans. Last year, he ran alongside Matt Campbell and uh, Christian Reed. They finished second, so it's going to be the young Italian's second go at Le Mans, and that's exciting. Um, Rodrigo Salas making mm. his Le Mans debut. He's raced in the Michelin Le Mans Cup uh, before. He's raced LMP3 cars before, but he's going to be in a Ferrari this time. And he's bringing some kid that we're used to seeing called Robbie Foley along with him. So that's <laughs> going to be exciting. That's going to be very, very exciting. If I skip anything, let me know. But something well, you just go to the noted. next one, next line down. Uh, yeah. All right. Next so line down. Don't, okay. don't skip anything uh, because we have a, a uh, change of brother, don't we? Well, that's what I was we- going to. I noticed Herbeth Motorsport um, racing a Porsche, a Ferrari, a Porsche, a Ferrari, and now apparently they have got their hands on an RSR 19. Albert Renard, Ralph Porn, and Rolf Nation. No, hang on. It was Alfred on the initial entry list. It was. List. So, little bit. Maybe they did rock, so paper, So, Robert's scissors. on there now. Yeah. Well, but it is a Porsche now, and that is very important to pay attention to because Robert Renauer is two times a Porsche Cup winner as uh, the best amateur driver racing a Porsche worldwide. So mm. it does make sense. And then, of course, Sheer. bringing Ralph Bone. Yeah. Honestly, either of them could turn up. We wouldn't know. 
In fact, well, both of them true. could turn up. They are identical <laughs> twins. And even when they're standing together, it's difficult to tell them apart. So if they if they're both turned up with a set of overalls on and did the maximum <laughs> amount of hours in the race, how would anybody know? I'm serious. I, I, I'm kind of joking, but I'm kind of saying, how would anybody know? If you can't even do it. Like that... Uh, um... Brendan Hartley getting uh, Nelson Hartley to stand in for him at the driver's parade a few years ago, isn't it? <laughs> but it's not because they are literally identical twins. Sorry. Do you remember when we did the story about them finally identifying a, a Porsche RSR that they could get hold of? That was down... That was... Uh, only available down to one of the other drivers that they were talking to. Which of Ralph Bone or Rolf Eichen do we think was responsible for getting hold of that Porsche? Ralph. Yeah, Rolf Eichen, I think. Rolf has ties to Porsche going way back, but more Correct. recently he's got ties to Lamborghini. Yeah, um, which is still part of the same group. Um, Rolf, Rolf Bone is the bronze driver there. Uh, Rolf Eichen is the silver. Robert Renau is another silver. Uh, both Robert and Alfred are silver, so they are very good silvers. Yeah. Very good silvers. Yeah. Uh, moving on. Um, we've got Sarah Bove in the ah, yes. uh, Iron Links, number 85, alongside Rahel Frey and Michelle Gatting. That'll be a, a strong lineup. Um, Sarah, who's somebody I actually hadn't heard of and then had to do some research on and was surprised I hadn't heard of her. Lance David Arnold making his Le Mans uh, debut, I think it was, if I go back through my notes, in Dempsey Proton Racing number 88 Porsche. We had one open seat in that Porsche, two open seats in the 99 Proton competition. Who is lucky enough to get to drive with Patrick Long, Gianluca Giraudi, and Felipe Fernandez Lazar? So that's going to be a strong lineup for that car, Felipe, who's been driving with um, Michael Fassbender and Ricard Leitz in the ELMS as of late. And I think those were all the yeah. unexpected driver lineup changes. How? I um, think uh, you missed one, which is Tom Gamble, which is one that we had announced oh, yes. previously, but wasn't on the last version of the entry. List. He's with Ben Barker and, uh, and yes. Mike Ray- Wainwright in the GR Racing Porsche. Uh, that's an old British crew uh, in a British car. Um, how? This is an impossible question to answer, but um, I'm going to ask it anyway. There's been a lot made by Glickenhaus about their American roots. There's an awful lot going on at the moment about... Um, well, uh, John DeGeese posted a story about them having to hit uh, an amount of, of cars produced and submit a cars for testing and, and BOP. And um, uh, there's been an awful lot of tweetage, not not actually from Glickenhaus, but from their supporters, saying, how can you, IMSA, how can you not let them race, etc. This is the only American team. They had an opportunity to put some American drivers in that car, and they haven't done it. How's that going to play, Shay? Um, I thought that's what you were going to ask, and I've got the perfect answer for you. Mm-hmm. We are a country of immigrants. Oh. We yeah. are a melting pot, a salad bowl, whatever analogy you would like to use. My, my Spanish teacher in high school hated the analogy that we're a, a melting pot. She said we're, we're a salad bowl. We maintain each of our individual features from our original cultures. That. But when it's mixed together, it makes it even tastier. Yeah. Um, so I'm very much okay with the fact that there is no 
American flag next to any one of the drivers in the field, especially when you consider the deep roots that drivers like Pipo, Olivier, Ryan, and Richard have in American racing. Good point. I'm perfectly fine with that. And as far as IMS is concerned, I did do a little bit of uh, statistic taking earlier. Mm-hmm. There have been 218 drivers who have participated in an IMSA race so far this year in 2021. 65 of them are racing at Le Mans, which means that wow. 65 out of the 183 drivers in the field have a Le Mans, have an IMSA start to their name from this year alone. Yeah, that's getting back to you know how influential... IMSA was in the days before the WEC when, you know, you remember back to the early and, and mid-2000s when I think, and, and again, I'd spec your team and if you think I'm, I'm wrong at just before 25 past nine in the UK, uh, I think that only one podium spot, maybe two, in a couple of seasons were taken by non-IMSA entrant cars. And, and I do yeah. think that IMSA's... Uh, and it, it's not going to get any any less important with with LMDH either. So, so, <laughs> so, so there we go. Shea, stay with us because we want to talk some American news in uh, in a little while. And by the way, for those who are hair on fire about uh, Glickenhaus, Glickenhaus are not being asked to do anything different from any other manufacturer who's involved in IMSA at the moment, and. We said last week on the show when we talked with John Daggies from from 365, from Sportscar 365, that the sensible thing about the convergence in global prototypes was that anybody from the IMSA side who wanted to go and do WEC would have to fulfil their requirements, and any, which was the same as anybody who was already um, racing there. And anybody from the, the WEC side who wanted to come and race in IMSA would have to fill the same requirements as any manufacturer already in IMSA. Um, Glickenhaus chose to go and race in the WEC and go and race at Le Mans, and nobody's knocking them for that. If they want to come and race their cars in IMSA, then by all means, come and do it. But accept the same set of, uh, set of regulations that everybody else there has to expect. If, if that is controversial... And some people seem to think it is. Then I'm sorry. I'm going to argue with you all day and every day. I, I, I really am. Um, uh, let's move on, Tim. Oh, we, we're going to keep share because we've got some American news to come, haven't we? Oh, we have a lot of American news, and uh, Shay right. may also want to have some input onto this. The news that no one is talking about. The stories that aren't reported anywhere else. And for valid editorial reasons. Pointless press release of the week on Midweek Motorsport. We haven't had this for so long. Indeed. This is a month old, this press release, uh, but I've uh, kept it you for told you. Me you, hadn't, you told me you hadn't engaged in motorsport for eight weeks while you were on the Euros. I didn't, and that's... Uh, even led to me having 400,000 unread emails, but this is one of them. <laughs> 400,000. Uh, it's not a pointless press release, really. It's just a press release full of terms that John will not understand and will therefore ask Shay to <laughs> explain because she's young. All right. Oh, gosh. Come on. McLaren Racing has selected Tezos, the world's most advanced blockchain, to become the team's official technical partner in a new multi-year technical Stop. partnership. Stop. 
What's a blockchain? Shay. Shay? Uh, pass. McLaren will yeah. use the energy-efficient and upgradable Tezos network to create an NFT platform with fan stop. experience at the stop. heart. Stop, stop, What's an NFT? An NFT is a non-fungible token. A non-what? Fungible. F-U-N-G-I-B-L-E. Not frangible? No, non-fungible. What's non-fungible token? It means it doesn't have any fungibility. It's a, <laughs> it's ah. a form of currency amongst young people. What, like... like um, it like, has no real value. Like baseball cards. It, well, it, has, it has a value. It doesn't have a, a, a physical presence, so not like a baseball card. Yeah. So this it, is something like, which um, doesn't have a physical form, but does have a value. It, like a radio it, show. Yes, or a tweet. Well, no, like... Or a tw- well, no, that has a physical yeah. form because you can print it out. But a radio show... Well, no, show because that's just a printed there. representation of it. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, oh we're getting been... all Inception and, and Matrix uh, on uh, me. A, a radio show you could uh, burn onto a CD. Um, ah, ask your point. parents. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Carry on. But that's not. Terms I don't that's understand. not. NFT. That's not it. That's. But yes, you're right. An NFT is a uh, a radio show would be an example of an NFT. Right. Okay. Right. Uh, Tezos is an open source blockchain for assets and applications. It's a continuously evolving blockchain that upgrades itself through efficient on-chain governance. McLaren will build a dedicated platform. Oh, sorry, with... on-chain governance. Yep. Is that some kind of rules and regulations for blockchains that we don't know what that is? Yep. It, uh, okay. It's like Ma- a pyramid. Okay. McLaren will build okay. a dedicated platform that builds that brings its illustrious racing heritage and renowned driver lineups across its multiple teams to offer an unrivaled NFT fan experience. Yeah, that How? is complete and utter nonsense, isn't it? Unlike traditional proof of work blockchains, Tezos's pioneering proof of stake <laughs> mechanism is a significantly more whoa, energy whoa, whoa, efficient. Whoa. St- stop! <laughs> a proof of stake mechanism which is energy efficient. All right, oh so I uh, hang on. No, so are you saying then that unlike things like cryptocurrencies where mining it takes a huge amount yeah. of energy, yes. this this is less energy dependent. Correct. Yes. See, I'm not as stupid as as out of touch as people might think. According to the press release, Tezos's pioneering proof of stake mechanism is significantly more energy efficient, uh, using two million times less energy than proof of networks proof-of-work networks like Bitcoin and Ethereum, allowing Tezos to operate cleanly with minimal energy consumption and a negligible carbon footprint. But why? As part of the partnership... Right, so so what does this partnership do for McLaren? It provides them a blockchain platform for uh, providing NFTs to their fans. Obviously. Well, Uh, I hope hope they all get the NFTs that they want. And of course... well, I have to pay for them. That's where, that's where everyone's making money out of this. Uh, but, the Tezos brand. How do you yeah. pay for? Can I just can I just say with anything? So with these NFTs, how do you pay for them? Uh, well, you can use money, or you can use Bitcoin. All right. You could even swap. You could even swap an NFT for another NFT. All right. If but they not have a, a similar card value. or a radio show. Can you swap a radio show for an MFT? Can I buy McLaren with 17 years of radio shows? Is that, <laughs> is that what we're seeing here? Hang on a second. I've got currency. 
I've got currency <laughs> here. You've got a lot Radio of NFTs. Sure Limited, we've got a lot of NFTs. Can we buy McLaren? So, can I have Can I have Zach Brown working for us because we've got that many NFTs? Is McLaren effectively trying to start their own cryptocurrency with yes, this? Yes, exactly. That's what it sounds like. So uh, they're trying to say that we are worth 27 um, Bitcoin per McLaren NFT just because we've decided that's how it's going to be. Tweets coming in, right, live, <laughs> right, live on our NFT. Um, this from Jesse. This sounds like Bloomberg Radio Financial Road. NFTs, blockchain. Come on, see how it's inflation disrupting racing and how our team's adapting to overcoming it. Give me the team to beat this weekend. Excellent, Jesse. Dan says, thought NFT was another F1 overtaking acronym coming with the 2022 regs. Norris using the NFT DRS to overtake there. Very good. Very good. The Tezos brand um, will be represented, represented across the McLaren Formula 1 and Arrow McLaren SP teams, including on the race oh. suits of Lando Norris, Daniel Ricciardo, Pato Ward and Felix Rosenquist. NFT Ooh. stands for Norris Flies Through, or not effing tor- tolerable, as Alan Prosser has just said. But uh, if they're putting it on the fire suit, then it does become a fungible token because oh. it is a tactile thing. Yes, yeah, that's good. only the logo. Now, that's only the look. Now, can, yeah. I, can I just say, McLaren were the perfect team to do this. Yes. And they have completely mined, I'll use that word advisedly, mined their roots because NFT, all of it, it's Ron speak. We are back to Ron speak. Ron Dennis lives on at McLaren. And everybody at McLaren's going to really dislike that. But that, that pointless press release of the week is Ron speak personified for 2021 that is and today because today is moon landing day so we you know absolute sorry yesterday moon landing day well it depends where you were when it happened if you were in australia it was on the 21st uh it was on the 21st (laughs) here because it was in the early hours of the morning it was uh was it three o'clock in the morning uk time so i was allowed to stay up for it and i was only a small child ever since i was a small boy do you want to hear what Zach Brown has to say about this? I do. I do. Yes. Unfortunately, really do. they haven't provided a quote, so you have to deal with uh, oh. Lindsay Eckhouse, Director of Licensing, E-Commerce and Esports from McLaren Racing, who said, uh, Teasels and McLaren uniting to create a unique fan-focused NFT is an innovative step in an exciting and rapidly developing industry. At McLaren, we're known for putting fans at the heart of everything we do, and this is another partnership which allows us to enter a space where fans can own key pieces of our team. AKA, we found a new way to sell stuff to our fans. Well, well that's what it comes down to. Yes, but they're not selling yeah. stuff because none of this stuff really exists. Yeah, so, what key pieces true. of their team are the fans going to be able to own? You know, what, Lando Norris? Zach Brown? No, he's definitely. The left hand rear wheel? He's definitely fungible. Right, they're all fungible, but, are they? <laughs> but you could. Um, Fungible's a made up word. Fungible is, is in the dictionary. Up, Have a look. It's a made up word. Frangipani. Can we can we call it not Frangipani tarts in that case? Actually, I quite like Frangipani tarts. It yes, but a, a not Frangipani. Frangipani, Frangipani tart might be equally nice. Mm. I, that Tim, that might be the best ever, the best ever uh, pointless press release. Oh no, uh, not at week. all. It doesn't come close to the uh, one uh, where NASCAR was sponsored by that drug. Oh no, that's true. 
You're absolutely or blue right. Blue emo. Yeah. Ma- <laughs> meanwhile, blue emu. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, On the subject of NASCAR. Ma- no, no, stop, stop, oh. just for a moment. Right. Meanwhile, at the Nurburgring on the Grand Prix circuit, we're up to 4,570 euros for the, uh, for the Eiffel um, flood relief, which is magnificent. And another driver is being asked to do a reverse lap of the, uh, the, the Nurburgring Grand Prix circuit. And he's doing a pretty good job Just at the moment. That's the, in fact, that's the Turner um, BS Sud car that's doing that at the moment. Which who is in that at the moment? That's Lauren Heinrich, the absolute star um, of of staging screen, and, and he's managing to stay out the way of everybody else and not blow his engine up. So raising money, excellent, well done. Um, that's on the VCO Esports uh, YouTube channel at the moment. Uh, Peter Mackay has got to go on and do his uh, Alan McNish impression on there as well for €100 Euros from the responsible adult. Uh, and following us tonight, um, as we get, it's one month today to Le Mans 24 hours. It's Haggerty Radio Le Mans on RS1. We have committed to, once again, being the uh, having the most live and overall content from the long 24 hours. We'll start on the Sunday before the race with the only live coverage of Test Day and then we'll roll on with special programmes through the week until track action starts on Wednesday. Uh, We'll have our midday motorsport on Wednesday of race week and we will cover every single session of Le Mans race and qualifying practice. Every time those cars are on the track, the LM24 cars, we'll be on the air and we're the only broadcaster who can uh, say that. So uh, just keep that uh, in mind, uh, by the way, as we are a month away. And tonight it's a Le Mans special uh, from the Historic Racing News team, The History of Le Mans, part of a special series from Paul Tarsi and the team uh, as we go into Le Mans 2021. Sorry, Tim, go ahead. Uh, So we almost started talking about NASCAR, and that's where we're going next because the driver market has kind of exploded there, Shay, hasn't it? (laughs) It has. A couple of days... Oh, let me think. I guess it was about a week ago. Um, Austin Sendrick was announced as the next... Oh. Lost you for a second there, Shay. That kind of made things awkward because Brad Keselowski drives the number two. And uh, he's been driving the number two for quite some long time. So then it was, well, where's Brad going to go? Then the rumor mill started to really kick in. Turns out Keselowski wanted part ownership and Penske was not willing to give him that. So he started looking elsewhere and announced yesterday, Brad Keselowski well, well, and you say that, Fenway Racing. Well, you've said it. I was going to say, sorry. in in the uh, announcement that, uh, or the press conference that announced that uh, Sindrick was going to Penske and that uh, Keselowski would therefore not have a car to be in. Um, Roger Penske did say, I'm sure we'll be very happy at Roush. Yes, which was... But it wasn't unexpected, though, Tim, because this this rumour has been circulating for a couple of months now, but it it was just one of those things that you're going, oh, oh, he, yeah, no more mystery. Um, And then there was the announcement that Roush Fenway Racing was going to be having an announcement, and everybody was going, oh, I wonder what that is. 
Um, but yes, now it is officially official. And Brass Keselowski, after 12 years with Team Petsky, will be leaving the team at the end of the year to join and potentially one day take over Roush Fenway Racing. Well, he from the from the start of next year, he'll be head of the team's competition committee, um, and he's also going to drive the number six. Yes, and so just to give a quick update as what we've had this year, we've got uh, Justin Marks, who has purchased Chip Ganassi's racing team. Mm. We've got Jeff Gordon, who is now the basically the top official on Hendrick's board, looking to inherit that team potentially one day, and Kozlowski to take over Roush Fenway Racing. So that's three of our big teams with the next generation set up to inherit. Now, Chris Bouchot is uh, confirmed for next year at Roush Fenway as well in the 17. Uh, but Ryan Newman becomes a free agent. Yeah, and Ryan Newman is somebody who we all cheer for, obviously, after the, the horrific accident that he was involved with last year when he was able to actually return to racing after the crash at Daytona. But he's been in NASCAR for a very long time and with so many kids coming up the ladder and proving that they can actually perform. I'm about Harrison Burton, who is announced as driving for the Wood Brothers, since that's where Austin Sindrick was supposed to go next year. Now he's taking over the two. Harrison Burton making the jump up. There are all of these young guns that are coming in and they're racing in cup and they're they're actually proving to be more competitive perhaps than some of the young guns from the past 10 years have been it leaves a big question as to whether ryan newman will find a ride for next year or if this might be his swan song uh he released quite an interesting statement didn't he i'm not sure if you've seen this or not shay uh no i didn't is is uh, i'm just trying to find the full thing he said the reality is any driver that goes out on their own terms has quit. That's the only way it works. So I'm not a quitter. I haven't achieved my goal. So the only way to go out on somebody else's terms is if they quit for me. I've got to put myself in a position with the right people that have a common goal of winning races and eventually a championship. I know I'm at that place. Mm. Well, I, I hope that he continues to fight and then try to find a ride. But... It, it is one of those things. He's had, what, 15 years in Cup, at least. So he, he's had the opportunities, and he's been with Roush Fenway Racing. That's one of the big names. So you wonder what he would be able to accomplish if he was with a lesser team. Uh, and then we've got uh, Matt De Benedetto. What do we know about his future? Uh, we never know about Matt De Benedetto's future, <laughs> and it's one of those frustrating things because he is one of the most likable NASCAR drivers that we've had in a long time. He's got a huge social media presence, but he doesn't have anything set in stone for next year. And it seems to always be around this time of the year, July or August, where all of a sudden it's like, hey, Matt De Benedetto doesn't have a ride for next year. We better start trying to figure something out for him. Uh, yeah, and there are very few options left for him. Uh, let's move on to IndyCar because there's some good news in terms of uh, IndyCar. Uh, they've signed an extension to their NBC TV deal. 
They did multi-year extension. We don't know the details yet, but we do know that 13 of the races next year, and by the way, we don't know the races next year. That schedule has not <laughs> been announced yet, so we don't know how many races there are going to be. There could be 13. There could be 26. It could be a really good number, really not good number. 13 races will be on network TV, i.e. NBC. Um, this year, personally, this is just saying for me, I've been less impressed with the races that are on Big NBC because the lead-ins have either run long or they've had to uh, miss certain parts or they've had to delay. It's been a bit frustrating when you have to wait for a professional lacrosse game to finish for an IndyCar race to start. It just doesn't quite seem on par. Sheer, is it slightly embarrassing for IndyCar that they were very vocal about leaving NBC because they didn't feel as though they'd been respected and they thought they had a chance with another network, CBS, um, and then <laughs> CBS, sorry, CBS, um, yes. basically said, we don't want you. And they've, they've effectively had to go back to NBC. This is, this is not actually the big win for everybody, is it? No, no, it's not. Um, but 13 races on network coverage means that where are the other races going to be? And as I say, we don't know how many other races there are going to be. I um, think there are going to be two, two from what I've heard. Well, there will be at least two more that are aired exclusively on Peacock, which is the um, basically the sister service that you need a subscription to watch. You can pay to watch or if you have, say, Xfinity, it's included, but you still need to have a login. You still need to provide your details to try and get access to that. Um, and the remainder of the races will be shown on USA Network, which is a cable uh, channel that is mostly known for showing old reruns of Law and Order. Um, <laughs> it's I'm not I'm not exaggerating with I that know, either. I know. It's, There's only 16 races on deal. the calendar this year, so it may not be. But a there massive... was supposed to be more. Remember. They were, they were supposed to race at Toronto, um, so we're anticipating some more races coming back for next year, potentially. They're not talking about dropping these doubleheaders necessarily, but I doubt we'll be going to the Indy Road Course twice next year if we don't have to. Um, and another race, actually, the next race that's coming up is Nashville. We'll see how that goes this year as to if they go back next year. So there's a lot of question in the air for IndyCar right now. And talking of Nashville, uh, one of our old friends is going to be the Grand Marshal share. For Nashville? Yes. Who's that? That'll be Dario Franchitti. No way. Oh, that's cool. I don't know how I missed that story. For yeah. Nashville great residents, Dario. of course. On the subject of Grand yes. Marshall news. Yeah. Yes, Grand Marshall. We have two Grand Marshall news stories. That's the first one. Uh, the one that you told me not to forget hours ago, and which I forgot <laughs> until you just mentioned the words <laughs> Grand Marshall. Grand Marshall for the Le Mans uh, is another ding, 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 person ding, ding, we know ding. very well. Uh, and John <laughs> appears to be ringing his bell. <laughs> Derek oh. Bell is the Grand Marshal. Uh, we've got the President and CEO of Ferrari waving the flag. We've got Derek Bell, I suppose, most most associated with Porsche, or Bentley as well. He's a Bentley ambassador as the Grand Marshal. It's going to be a good year. It's going to be a cracking year. Uh, a lot of you tweeting in at Speculatement about uh, Eve's um, wrap up of, of Le Mans. Thank you for that. Uh, things are changing all the time. We're finding out that our QR codes might now work, but you've got to apply for an international version via the NHS app. If you're in the UK, 
Um, if you're in other places, some places you can get an international version, some you can't. We'll update that next week. We're going to keep doing that. Uh, meantime, Tim, where do you want to go to next? Time now for Nick Damon's team-by-team review of the British Grand Prix at Silverstone. And what a Grand Prix it was, Nick. It was. It was a Grand Prix uh, with 350,000 people over the weekend. 246, don't there. exaggerate. Well, I'm sorry, it was Silverstone. Uh, and um, no, it was, it was really not good to see the crowd. The sun was out. Um, it was ridiculously hot. They must have really thought they'd gone to the wrong place. And uh, we had three days of fantastic action. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's start with Red Bull. Yes, let's start with Red Bull. Um, first of all, I'm not going to talk about the incident on the end of lap one because by now everyone's made up their mind one way or the other. You know, if you're Dutch or very heavily right wing, you'll think it was entirely Lewis's fault. If you're a Lewis Hamilton fan, you'll think it was Max's fault. If you're a racing driver, you may have a you may, who's been paid by who begets under the pay of Red Bull. You'll think it's uh, Lewis's fault. If you're red, a racing driver wants to cause a bit of trouble, you'll say it's Max's fault or nobody's fault. The fact is, uh, they came together. Um, I have a number of things following the coming together or what caused the coming together, which I do want to talk about. And the first of all is that it, I've been massively impressed with Max Verstappen this year. I think he's driven a brilliant year. Um, he's maximised what he can maximise what he can get, um, and he's 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 looked really really good. Personally, I think he was an absolute idiot um, in, at Silverstone because he went for a battle that he didn't need to do. And this is the worry you have about someone who's never won a car championship trying to win a championship. He went into the race 33 points ahead against a man who was patently significantly more pumped up than he has been for the rest of the season. He banged wheels with him all the way down the first corner. He late braked. He made him give him room on several occasions. And finally, they came together and he ended up in the barrier with no points. Didn't need to do it. Didn't need to do it. He could have backed off, given Lewis the corner, and the worst case scenario for him was his lead would have gone down to 26 points, and it's more likely it wouldn't have had any. Because he, let's be honest, he knew he had the faster race car. He had a 17-lap test the previous day, where once he got ahead, he was able to quite easily pull away from Lewis. Yes, Lewis was faster in, in, in the Friday qualifying, but the car was set more for qualifying and the Red Bull was set more for the race, especially in high temperatures. So Verstappen knew he had a faster race car. He didn't need to argue that point with Lewis. He could let Lewis go and then he, you know, sat behind him by two seconds and undercut him, used the pace to get past him, or if that hadn't worked for some reason, probably hung back and then got the fastest lap and he lost six points and he would have gone into Hungary with a 27 point lead. And that is exactly how Lewis Hamilton has won a number of races, a number of championships by not playing the percentages. And the point about it is when, when Verstappen was doing his more aggressive stuff early in the season in Imola, where he effectively squeezed uh, Lewis off the track, but Lewis let it happen or in uh, Portimao or, or more importantly, obviously uh, dive bombing in the first corner at Barcelona and Lewis gave him the space again and Christian Horner said what a great race it was it was fantastic it wasn't it wasn't Max brilliant and thankfully Lewis gave him some space yeah that's great while it's working and that's great while you're chasing but at some point you're in the lead and you have to just grow up stop racing with your testicles and start racing with your head 
And that was the disappointing thing about Max at the weekend. And he paid a high price. And obviously, we're all very pleased he's not hurt. Um, but he, should just, he, shouldn't, he shouldn't have been there. He shouldn't have bothered with the He didn't need to fight the accident. This isn't, don't forget, Silverstone is one of Mercedes' best tracks. They're on the three hardest tyres. This is where Mercedes, if they're going to win anywhere, are going to win at Silverstone. So if you're, even, if you're the fastest car there, why are you fighting this? It is not a sprint. It is a marathon. And that was, the, that was why I think that Max was responsible for finding himself in the barriers. Not saying he's at fault for the accident. He was completely responsible for finding himself in the barriers. Do you know what it illustrates um, to me, that incident as well? What's that? That after all these years, TV companies still haven't learned that they need to have a camera on the exit of cops to actually see cars <laughs> hitting the barrier there. Mm, no, I know. I mean, I think just just, just so that, uh, and then people are going to come back and say, oh, well, Max, you know, we've done any experience. That was Max's 129th Grand Prix. Max Verstappen has competed in more Grand Prix than 17 previous world champions. Now, I know it's different number of races you do, but he's made more Grand Prix starts than 17 previous world champions. He needs to learn. And that's, but the problem is, and this, this now rolls into my next point about it, is that the, the people who I thought were truly um, bad were the Red Bull management. Their reaction was petulant and stupid. Inflamed the situation that is already difficult, and they are the reason, or one of the major reasons, for the horrendous racist flaming that uh, that Lewis received um, over the following 24 hours. There were always going to be a selection of idiots, but they were, but the uh, but the wavering idiots felt emboldened by the ridiculous things that Horner said. I mean, we expect Marco to say ridiculous things, but Horner himself, you know, I remember something. Oh, so you don't overtake a cops? Well. Given the fact that we've seen hundreds of overtake at cops, you do. So don't say things that you've oh, never seen Christian move. Horner no, overtake at cops. Because Christian Horner was a rubbish racing driver. Christian, uh, I, I think someone said it. I, I said that he did, that he was pretty. He was pretty sure Lewis, seven-time world champion Lewis Hamilton, would not be taking much racing advice from failed Formula Three thousand qualifier Christian Horner. So you know, don't give out the advice here, and you can't hang around lauding it when Max's aggression works in Max's favour, and then try and make out it's the worst thing's ever happened when his aggression goes against him. Um, yeah, so they were awful, absolutely awful, and, and, and they should have... I, I genuinely receive that their inflammatory comments, if not receiving official sanctions, had certainly received a conversation with F1's power that be about engaging brain before inflaming the world. So they were awful. Let's move on to players. Uh, no, no, I have oh. one more point about the accident, which is, and that is about the penalty itself, where... The FIA said, we don't give the penalty on the basis of the outcome of the incident and then did give a penalty based on the outcome of the incident. Because I can't remember a 10-second penalty for a contact. Every single contact penalty has been five seconds. Now, the point about it is, it doesn't really matter. If you're going to give it, and it's a, it was a little a tiny touch, front wheel to rear wheel. Every other one has been five seconds be it in brazil be it in austria three of them last week and everything else it's five seconds it doesn't matter that you're doing it at a certain speed it doesn't matter you're doing it at a certain corner that is what has been established why is it suddenly become 10 seconds because it's a bit faster it was the, the front two we've seen the cars come together on that corner and just be called a racing incident again i'm not saying one thing or another about what it was but if you're going to give a penalty give a consistent penalty the consistent penalty is five seconds because it was a it was a very very slight coming together that happened to have major consequences and the whole point about it is you judge on the slight coming together not the major consequences because it's none of it you know despite the ridiculous statement again that they're saying you know that 
it was deliberate from Marco and Hoy. Of course, it's not blooming deliberate. It's ridiculous. And this, that's the kind of thing where you go around. But so, you know, that's my, my beef. And my beef is with, with, with the way it was handled by, um, the, you know, the Red Bull. But the FIA didn't even do what they're supposed to do. And Max shouldn't have been there in the first place. But I'm not saying who's responsible for the accident because you've all already made up your mind. Uh, and Perez was rubbish all weekend, really. Um, actually, Friday was, was just off par, threw it off the track on Saturday um, during the sprint race, and he got an air wash. No one else got air wash in the rest of the weekend, so I'm not sure how that happened. Um, okay, decided to try a difficult strategy for the back. Interestingly, uh, Red Bull also made a rather petulant decision right at the end when the two stop was kind of working, and he was, and Perez was pulling. I think he was tenth, and he was in a he train was. with better, t- and he had better tires, and we probably have got up. He was pulling I'm away sure from. Pulling away from yeah. um, the Sonoda behind him at yeah. um, more think... than a second a lap. Yeah, and Gasly then had a puncture. So he, I think he, he would have been there or thereabouts for seventh, I think, in the end, if he, they let him go. But they decided instead to pull him in, give him a set of tyres just to take a point away from Lewis. Now, I'm not sure he'd have got that, that working... far because um, there was a 10 second gap between him and Ocon. Um, and he wasn't. But he was. Yeah, but he, he, had, was, he was only he, yeah, closing he was, by about a second a lap, and there were not yeah. ten seconds left. Mm, okay, well, yeah, yeah he, he would have. Anyway, they, they they decided to sacrifice more points than they they gained no points to get the fastest lap because he didn't finish in the top ten. So they walked away from, let's say, between two and four constructor championship points and because points they wanted for points of Lewis himself as well. Yeah, exactly, and it's when you think, well, that's a little bit kind of. I understand, you know, that's a little bit. Did, Childish, we, but I don't think did we ever find out uh, whether he was punished for punting Rajnin into a spin in order to get that 10th place? I, didn't, I don't think so, no, actually. That's a really good point, too. I've not seen the outcome. I think it got quick before he got lost in the noise of other incidents. Hmm. But basically, a really, really bad weekend for Red Bull. Um, not all of their own making, but certainly um, they are significantly, as a team and as individuals, more responsible than most for all the stuff that's gone on before and since and they need to have a good look at themselves because they need to change the way they manage that team let's move on to aston martin um uh, yeah fettel looked really really good um silverson's a good track for him he, he was the car, the car was, was 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 doing okay which is interesting really that you know the mercedes was also doing okay so you kind of wonder whether you stick these low rate cars on harder tires and they work better unfortunately fettel made a mistake the one time you don't want to do it which is right at the start of the with the restart and um, because if you spin out the restart you lose a million positions if you spin out you know for example you example just made there about Esteban Ocon if Esteban Ocon had spun out with a 10 second gap he'd have stayed in the same position because there's not 11 cars about to overtake you so Fettel made the mistake at the worst possible moment then was retired I'm pretty sure for convenience reasons um Stroll drove well picked up eighth place so yeah I mean it, you know, again it, it, it it's hard to see really whether how good they are. They're, they're hamstrung by the cars, not great, or certainly not with the level it was last year. Uh, Fettel's been uh, better as he's gone on, but has his inconsistencies. Stroll's doing Stroll's job, but you, you probably think that you know fifth or sixth team is, is where they're at, depending on the weekend. Uh, let's move on to Haas. Yes, and Nikita Mazepan beat Mick Schumacher, which Again. I think is the first time in a race they've both finished that that's happened. Um, he actually got past him, actually overtook him on the race, and yeah, so uh, well done, Nikita. Imola? Oh no, because he questions uh, the no, pit wall. He was ahead of him, and then he questions the wall. That's right. Yeah. So nope, that's the first time, and well done for Nikita. Um, yeah, we, we we have a go at him, but the only thing you can do when you've got a 
terrible car at the back. It's beat your teammate, and he did it. Uh, Alfa Romeo. Um, Raikkonen didn't qualify particularly well, but he did quite well in the sprint race and um, was very feisty uh, throughout the race itself. So it was kind of like a typical Kimi Raikkonen this year, where his qualifies a bit meh and his racing's a bit meh. Um, but uh, yeah, the coming together you mentioned earlier with Perez scuttled him down the field from a potential low point scoring. And he ended up 15th and upset. Giovinazzi had a quiet weekend. I think that's the best way of putting it. But again, you're sitting there going, how good is the Alfa Romeo? It's not very good. It's a fast circuit. And so 13th was probably what he was, a, a day driving, driving around in 13th was, was, was probably what he was going to get. Okay. Uh, let's move on to Williams. Yeah, I mean, George Russell obviously did, the, um, did a fantastic job on Friday. Uh, to qualify, I think, eighth overall. Um, Saturday, he had a... I think he got a penalty for, for hitting... a uh, three-place grid penalty for hitting signs. And I think that was pretty harsh on the first lap of a race in the particular corner they were at. I think that there's as much to say that Science could have opened the car up a bit as, as, as Russell hit him, but that's, you know, the, apparently nowadays that's the, the, the way the uh, stewards are seeing everything. I think it's disappointing. Um... Started in around that position, dropped down, just couldn't make any positions. Like the race, the Williams isn't as good a race car as it is a, a qualifying car, um, and he probably finished it ahead of both the Alfa Romeos. And, the, and so he's probably thinking, "Well, we did the best we can." You know, the bottom three teams. I was the leading car. And uh, Latifi admitting that he's, uh, although oh, he's a yeah, racing sorry, driver, he's not as fast as some people. I completely forgot about Latifi, which I think is indicative of Latifi, isn't it, really? And the interesting thing is, though, that I think on the Williams side, I think you noticed it, the interesting thing is now they're talking very much about drivers for next year. And despite the fact that Latifi is one of our three sons of the billionaire in F1, it's now looking like Williams are perhaps prepared to forgo his cash for someone who's better. So that's certainly the, um, the, the conversation that's going on at the moment about perhaps, you know, the two drivers, whether or not they keep George, which is, you know, debatable, but, you know, they may well pick up not a, in a one hand. Finn in return. But they're certainly looking at the, improving both drivers or changing both drivers um, as a team is really not going anywhere at the moment. He said uh, yesterday, I may be a racing driver, but I've never made the Kessel run in less than 12 parsecs. And this man has. And then posted a picture of himself he- with Harrison Ford. Well, yeah, we had a lot of stars. We had Harrison Ford, we had Michael Douglas, we had uh, Tom Cruise, who's had too much work done, I think, but, uh, you know. Alpha Tauri? I think they'd be disappointed. Um, didn't have a good Friday, didn't have a good Saturday. Um, Gasly was doing okay in the race, got a puncture later on, I think dropped him from seventh, or maybe an eighth, eighth down to behind Sonoda. So Sonoda beat his teammate, which must have been, I think, for the first time since Bahrain. Um Snowden was, was, was not particularly dangerous, so that was good. Um, but the basic pace that Alpha Tauri was showing early on appears to have whittled away, almost though everyone else has managed to get more out of their cars during the course season Alpha Tauri have. So they're you know, no longer you know, looking at the top of the pack. They're, they're, they're sort of now on a par with Alpine um, and occasionally Aston Martin, but obviously well behind the established top four teams we now have, Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull and McLaren. Alpine is where we move next. Yeah, and obviously, uh, once again, ever since uh, signing up his new three-year contract, Espen Ocon has been comprehensively beaten by Fernando Alonso, who's really getting the idea now. Um, Alonso obviously starred in the sprint race, making up five positions despite doing the longest route possible down the Wellington Straits. He weaved left and right to try and break um, the toe. 
Uh, and then again, drove well in the race itself to seventh, which realistically behind, you know, two Mercedes, two Ferraris and two McLarens is the best you can do um, if you've got the Alpine. I thought it was quite interesting. They turn around and um, I think Alpine means staying last week. Oh, yeah, we, we, we might renew uh, Fernando's co- uh, contract now. I was thinking we'd be really stupid not to because he's driving, he's driving that car way faster than actually he's able to go. Uh, Ocon pretty much got some points and did what he's supposed to do. But you do get the difference between those two, between a good driver and a great driver, even a great driver who's, you know, in the twilight of his career. Uh, Ferrari next. Well, Ferrari, I think uh, no one was probably more surprised um, when 45 laps in, Charles Leclerc was leading the race uh, and, com- and cut quite comfortably. Uh, and I include that no one more surprised than Charles Leclerc. Um, obviously, it didn't. It, it kind of succumbed in the last couple of laps and he uh, was overtaken by Lewis. But it's a fantastic second place. It really, really, just a brilliant drive. It was a brilliant weekend, really, with a car that's just not that, that great. And I was listening to a podcast, and there's a, a guy saying, "Oh, I want to say one of his best drives. If he'd won, it would be his best drive. Better even than the two races he won in 2019." I thought, "Yeah, but he won those two races with an illegal car. You know, he's actually won a. He's come second against a run of play with a legal car. Sure, that's actually a better performance. The, the end result doesn't define how good the performance is. You know, he won in Spa. He won in, in Monza by forcing Lewis off the track with his illegal car, and won in Spa." with its illegal car, because we're allowed to say that because we haven't got F1 permanent hard cards, so we actually point out that Fry were cheating all through 2019. Um, so I think that was just, this was Charles' best weekend and, and, and an absolutely fabulous performance. Um, Carlos Sainz was just really unlucky. He was, he was coming back to the field really, really well, had a long pit stop, and that lost him 10 seconds. You just can't lose 10 seconds in that part of the, of the, of the, the pack. And even when he came out, Ricardo, Danny Rick did a good uh, effort to fend him off, so he ended up in sixth. And I think Sainz would be a little bit irritated by that, though probably he only lost the chance of fifth rather than anything higher than that. Uh, McLaren next. <laughs> Yeah, McLaren, it's another, I suppose it's another good weekend for Landau, another better but not great weekend for Danny Ricciardo. I mean, you know, he came in, he qualified, I think, in about a couple of hundreds behind Landau, but at the end of the day, he's up, what, 14 seconds, seconds behind yeah. him. You know, and so just the pace isn't there. I, you know, it's, it's this thing again. Is Danny Ricciardo in a slump or is Lando really good? And that's the thing. Ricciardo obviously is, 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 is posting it as, you know, I need to get used to the car. I need to, I'm in a slump. I need to get used to the car. Perhaps he's driving the car as well as, as perhaps he's driving as well as he used to at Renault, as well as he used to at Red Bull. And Lando is just doing really, really well. I mean, he's obviously on the crest of a wave of confidence. He's very at home with the team, all that sort of stuff. But his performances this year have been fantastic. And he's, and he's probably been the most consistent racer of all the uh, 20 guys on the grid. Finally, Mercedes. Yeah, the point about this is Mercedes won the race, and at the end of the first lap, um, they should have won the race, but they should have won the race with Valtteri Bottas. How the how the, how on earth Bottas hasn't come in the top two or hasn't won the race is the problem Valtteri Bottas has, because he should have been the winner of this race. His car is as fast as Lewis Hamilton's. You know, the car is as fast as Lewis Hamilton's. It wears its tyres the same way as Lewis Hamilton's if you drive it the same way. And he had a 10-second advantage because he was, didn't have a 10-second penalty. Yet he conspired to lose that, be told to get out of the way, and then drop off 11 seconds by the end of the race from Lewis. So if you look at make a list of the big losers of the race, despite the point score, he'd be up there in third biggest loser after two Red Bull guys. 
Um, and, you know, we, 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 it's contract time. Yes, he did, he did his team thing. He did his team thing very well. Giving a little bit of a toe to Lewis in the uh, qualifying. Uh, going on the alternate tyres, you see that, that would do in the sprint race. Um, letting Lewis through easily in the um, race itself. So, yeah, he's a very good team player, but his actual performance was a little bit kind of... You know, you think, well, what's going? Come on, come on, Valtteri, come on, what's going on? So yeah, he's really not impressive at all. Uh, Hamilton kind of, you know, had his, had his mantle moment, didn't he? Had his coming back from a adversity to hunt down. Um, unfortunately, you know, obviously, he hunted down PK, which is his evil teammate. And this time, it's Charles Leclerc, who we all like, but he hunted down Leclerc brilliantly. Used before, you know, ran an excellent race after the first lap, which I'm not going to say anything about. Um, got a bit of luck because obviously there was a red flag and then they could repair the cracked rim, which would have meant he otherwise would have had to have an extra pit stop. But, you know, he, he drove probably every lap after lap one perfectly. He, he knew what they had to do, stay behind Charles Leclerc to extend the first um, stint as much as possible because Charles was running at a pace he was happy with uh, and then pulled the pin after he'd run a, a couple of laps in the hards and they were really working well and he, he caught up and passed. Interesting passing both Lando Norris and um, Charles Leclerc at Colts, but don't forget, Christian Horner said you can't do um, to win the race. And you know, we've got that fantastic reaction from the crowd. And yeah, you know, it's a great win for Lewis. And then, you know, obviously he was completely upset that Max Verstappen decided to say you shouldn't celebrate. Um, that was another stupid thing the boy said. What another thing? Oh, he said, really bad. Oh, you know, I'm in hospital. Yeah, you're in hospital for checks. You were fine. You know, don't try and make it. You weren't in hospital. You were at hospital. You know, it's completely different. It wasn't, in, you know, in, in, being rebuilt like you know, drivers of old were concerned. He was a bit, you know, just checking that he hadn't, you know, got any internal bruising or anything. It was like, come on. And then go, oh, it's awful. And then go, oh, you shouldn't celebrate. No, stop it. Just stop it. Don't be so petulant, pair of you. And by, by, that, by that, I mean him and Dios. So, yeah, Lewis won. Congratulations. 99 wins. Um Onto the hundred, you think you'll get that this year, but I still believe that the Red Bull is a faster car, so you know they can stay out of trouble by using their heads. Um, they could still win most of the rest of the, rest of the races of this season. And that's Nick Damon's team by team review of the British Grand Prix at Silverstone. More from you next week, Nick. Oh, I'm sure more from you next week. And we're over time by some margin. Yes. Uh, after that, so I think that was all down to non-fungible tokens. I think it was all down to Nick. Da- Dave Alcock just... says, "I work in IT. I have familiarity with blockchain and cryptocurrency, but that was unbridled <laughs> tech speak. I didn't understand ninety percent of that. It was like a tech <laughs> description of Star Trek." Uh, right, let's let's get off the air because we've got the uh, history of Le Mans special coming up from HRN. Thanks to all of our contributors. Uh, tonight we'll have an update on travel next week with Eve uh, and there's still an hour to go or thereabouts and we're over 5,000 euros on the race uh, uh, against the floods at uh, the Nürburgring in virtual reality it's the VCO esports channel and uh, uh, it's on YouTube if you want to get in touch with us no time to explain Uh, The Llama is doing charity work and we'll be back next week. Bye. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. For more, subscribe to Midweek Motorsport wherever you get your podcasts.